It's time, boys and ghouls, for a fucking Halloween is forever October slobber knocker, guys. Welcome to it. I'm Brian. I'm Meg. I'm Steve. Guys, I don't know if you've checked your phone today. I don't know if you've looked at your calendar. It's fucking October. It's the first Monday in October, and we are here to fucking rage guys we are doing our second now we can officially say annual john carpenter showdown we'll see how many years we can milk this out for this is our second one um honestly i think this is the last one <laughs> yeah i was like we, we didn't uh, i think them. we got one good one more i think we got one more good I, one in us oh brian i do have to add though i was like when i was at work uh today uh one of my coworkers was just hanging out and he kept saying like no it's october 1st you know we you know we can officially start celebrating halloween and i brought you up and i was like mm. no i was like my podcast mate is birthdays in august and i'm pretty sure we start celebrating I'm back like, in august bitch i've been at it for a month and a half <laughs> like we've um, already been going strong here bro. <laughs> yeah. I am a little late to the to the party. I do not have all my decorations up yet uh, because I've had two consecutive just like hellish weeks of work where I think I've probably worked like 200 hours in the last two weeks, including weekends. And I just, just expect been chaos. every time we record and be a video that your um, room that you record in will get darker and more mm. covered in spider webs. Mm. And I'm a little disappointed, well, but it's hey, actually you should put the girls on it. Yeah, the the it's actually the inverse because uh, I have so many Halloween Halloween decorations that stay up in my office year round, and some of them do migrate to other areas of the house. So my office becomes less spooky at Halloween, mm. but the rest mm. of the house becomes exponentially more spookified. You do um, you do go all out, and I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got to figure I got to get that that's all, all my outside stuff and everything up. Like I said, I just been I've been traveling for work for like two weeks and it's been an absolute I pain, think you pain need in the to ass. Call but. in tomorrow and mm-hmm. tell them like how important it is that you decorate mm-hmm. your house. You yeah. know, don't don't even hold back and just be very <laughs> honest about it. I'm not even going to call in. I'm just going to literally I'm just going to put up an away message on my email and said, like doing spooky shit. <laughs> like fuck off doing spooky shit. I think shit. those are acceptable terms, and if they're yeah. not, then you need to get a better job. Yeah, I'll yeah, be yeah. out of the so, office for the week. I'll be I'm out doing. The, I'd be out of the office, busy doing spooks and ooks uh, all around the house. So leave me the fuck alone. Um, yeah, I am done with that. It's fine. I spent. Listen, I'm not complaining. It was a lot of fun, but we spent six sessions uh and a whole week leading up to it uh we hosted uh, a big like about 1200 people for a big giant oktoberfest uh celebration in beautiful phoenixville pennsylvania right up the street um from the uh where they do Blobfest uh at the colonial theater in phoenixville where they uh where they shot scenes from uh from the original uh version of the blob mm. so our week our tent was right up the street there but we had this big giant thing and it was a lot of fun but a lot of lugging kegs around and setting up tents and tearing down tents and all type of manner of stuff but it was fun Brian, but I'm i, fucking I have beat. such a good idea for you i mm-hmm. think you need custom lederhosen kill that- i was thinking you were going to suggest i like, kill myself <laughs> and, I was gonna, and then i was gonna say okay maybe 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we took oh you I think we can tell where you're at, Brian, today. Um yeah. you yeah. took a real hard turn there. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, what I think is you need custom leader hosen that are mm. all spookified. I think you need like a Ooh. pumpkin right over, you know, the dick pocket thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, where yeah. you can hide stuff. Yeah, that's what that's how they in, in Germany it's that's what that what it translates to is dick pocket. I'm dick and pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it I, means, I, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's, um, I'm just so I envious it's of what Wiener, you can hide in there. Wiener pocket, I think is the way they pronounce it. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Hard V. Yeah. Wiener pocket. Vegetable. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, listen, I'm not complaining, but I am not drinking beer right now because I, uh, like I said, I probably drank about, um, oh, good, probably six liters of Hellas yesterday as I was just running around. Just got to keep the old blood sugar up, you know. But I am drinking a cup of coffee so I don't die. But I, yeah, I got a little pumpkin spice in there, as you might imagine, a little pumpkin spice creamer. So you, your boys out there with the UGG boots on. I, did we get any comments from anyone about the pumpkin spice cum from last week? Did we get <laughs> any comments? Because I've had I had friends actually listen to that. No, I did get some cease and desist. I got a couple of restraining order requests, <laughs> um, but. <laughs> You're now on a watch list. Oh, yeah. I'm on a list somewhere. The <laughs> FBI is like, this guy has got something terribly wrong with him. He's going to do some sort of damage you to actually, society. Did you have scientists reach out to you? Because I honestly think that that yeah. would be the most intriguing well, thing. Well, I already they sell be, it on the, study you. on the Silk Road. I already sell it. Um, so, you know, they can do with it. They can find it. It's out there if they want it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it's called Starbucks.tour. <laughs> Brian bought, the, brought, bought that domain name on yeah. the onion browser when i said pumpkin spice creamer what i meant is i squeezed <laughs> one out in my own coffee right before we came on here. <laughs> all right what are you guys drinking should never die um i'm pretty stoked i stopped by a distributor and saw i like love from working at southern tier brewing company one of my old favorites was Harvest. They're, they're like fall oh, yeah. IPA that they put out. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sipping on one of them boys tonight. Ooh. Yeah, I like that beer too. It's kind of like a, isn't it kind of like an Englishy variety uh, IPA? Like it's got some American it hops, but it's be, got some I like, feel it, like, like British, if, like crystal malt maybe or something. It, it definitely has some crystal malt. And so it has those vibes, but I feel like even just from when I used to, it feels less bitter than it used to. Mm. Um, and so I, I kind of get the hints of like, the old English style where it's definitely a little bit more malty. We got more malt character going on, but mm. like the hop bitterness is lower. The hop character seems a little bit more modern, but the neuter still, and the beer. Sons yeah, of bitches. Still <laughs> all those kids out here. Though. Everything's got to be sweet and candy-ish. We can't have an old fashioned melt your fucking and enamel off your teeth. Texas about anymore. buying gloop glop beers. Mm-hmm. It yeah, was 20 you, bucks a four pack. Think of the no. savings. <laughs> I don't even know what savings that means because you already said $20 for a four pack. And I'm like, that's way above yeah, my but, budget. Well, yeah, that's out of your budget. Okay. And that's out of my budget, which is why I don't buy that shit. But it's usually like 30. Oh. So it's Th- like you say there is no beer in existence that is worth $30 for. They'll put it this way. There is Especially no beer would that exists up. in a four pack 16 ounce can that is worth those dollars no i I will flat out say i have spent that much on old bottles of goose and stuff like that but they're like Mm -hmm. you know multiple years old and they were conditioned and pat and uh or i mean they were uh blended and then bottled and then set aside and like there was a lot of you know 
cost that goes into doing all that stuff. But mm-hmm. just the breweries existed of, before 1980, and yeah, yeah, they <laughs> b- b- before 1880. You know what I mean? Right. Like they've been around forever. They know what they're doing. Not just some you know couple of fucking jabronis and flat brim hats that decided they were going <laughs> to buy fucking stock and puree. <laughs> all right. Well, I think I'll make you guys Sorry, happy. I'm, I'm ornery. I'm getting my coffee in me. I'm getting all horned up and mad. And <laughs> I, I, I'll make you guys happy, though. I am splitting the difference between the two of you. Okay. Because earlier in the year, Meg gave me a little fucking airplane bottle of Southern Tier oh, Pumpkin Whiskey. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, Meg, I'm not drinking this because it's fucking July and I don't drink this until October. Yeah. But we've done the transition. We have. So I've taken so I've taken this little airplane bottle of pumpkin and I've mixed mm-hmm. it with a can of cold brew coffee that I picked oh. up. Was it, is so, it the PBR cold brew coffee too? So no, no, no. real fucked up tonight. No. No, it's just like this thing called, I bought it at Big Lots. It was a dollar. Uh, okay. Big lots, big lots. <laughs> yeah. Fuck with big lots. But it's a it's a cold brew coffee with oat milk, and then that's why I bought it because I like the oat milk. Mm. That actually isn't that good, and then mm. the pumpkin isn't good either. <laughs> but surprisingly, together they're not too terrible. Nice. So, yeah. and, and this is what I've been trying to tell my kids, guys. Sometimes two wrongs do make a right. It happens. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. But not um, in this case. But well, in no, this no, case, no. It in makes this case, slightly yeah. writer. Yeah, yeah I, don't know. I don't know if I would agree with that. I mean, I'd be curious. To you try don't know. It, you're not you know? drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> you're not drinking it, Meg. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, I don't I'm think that. I I'm telling you. I actually think that I disagree with the fact that you like it, and I think that you don't like it. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I think I, would, I know better. I insist that you don't like it. He just it. doesn't want me to ever say this something is, that you This is Meg with. starting her mind games early. Oh, yeah. She's already fucking She's trying to us. convince me, like, somehow You're that I don't even like Halloween. decided to drink something that I gave you as a gift, Steve. Yeah. I yeah. gifted and it's that bad. to you. Like, it's Present. bad on its own. No. And you gave it to me because you know it's bad you gave it on its own. Love, right? <laughs> you gave it out of love. <laughs> you gave it as a white elephant gift to him. Um, all right, guys. Uh, it was I, listen, a this is a gift, actually. <laughs> yeah, see? This is, yeah. This is going to be my role this entire uh, this entire episode here. So let me let me really quickly uh, remind you, uh, especially this time of year, we got a whole bunch of new listeners. So I'll explain to you how this works. One time a month, we do one of these here showdown episodes where we usually draw from a bunch of random you know listener suggestions suggested topics but in this instance uh it is in fact october it's spooky season so we started this tradition with our first october last year where we put all of john carpenter's horror and horror adjacent type of films um onto a big old spinning wheel and then we each um just get randomly assigned one and then we have to defend it now last year the first time we did this we legitimately got three of his absolute worst movies of all time. I was gifted with Ghosts of Mars. Uh, Meg, you had... Um, Village of the Damned. Village of the Village Damned. Of the yeah, Damned. I wanted to say Children of the Corn, too. You got yeah. Village of the Damned, and I then Steve it. ended up with, what was it called again? The, the Ward. Ward. Yeah. Um, which was a real piece of stink shit. And uh-huh. they all were poopy, and uh, but it was fun to talk about them. And Meg ended up basically um, having the least worst uh, movie last yeah. year. This year, very different story. Very different story. So... 
Uh, I got first one of the last kind of odd man out films that were on our John Carpenter wheel, which is Assault on Precinct 13, which is really more of a exploitation crime thriller drama type situation with some, you know, fairly intense violence. But it's by no means is it horror. Um, it it rides the line, interestingly. And we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get into it. Yeah. But yeah. Um, So. So I drew that first. And then after that, promptly, Stephen Meg uh, drew John Carpenter's most famous and, and, and most celebrated films right after that, which Steve got Halloween 1978 uh, and Meg got, of course, The Thing 1982. So what, here's what? what that here's what that means. Uh, your boy's fucked. Uh, I ain't going to win this. And that's fine. Uh, I ain't going to vote for my movie over either of those two because those are literally my two favorite movies. So this ended up being kind of like a, uh, you know, that WrestleMania. And I'm going to say 1997, 96, 97. It's WrestleMania 14. Yeah, whatever one that is, mid one of those mid '90s ones where it was DX versus Stone Cold feud happening, and Mike Tyson came in as the special guest referee, um, and then I believe knocked out Shawn Michaels at some point. It was a whole thing. Yes. Uh, spoiler alert for WrestleMania <laughs> 1996. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand here um, as 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 you know, fat out of shape, Mike Tyson in the mid 90s um and i am gonna essentially decide who brings this home so these are my two favorite movies on the planet uh and we will I see i think you've been living for this moment yeah this is all very serendipitous instigate both of us and mm. you know what i'm excited i'm excited well, it's gonna, to see i'm gonna happens. learn a lot about myself because i have told <laughs> you know since i was a child i've said halloween 1978 is my favorite movie i have watched it a bajillion times i love it so much in recent years the thing has really creeped up on it um and you know i it, it's i would consider it probably my second favorite movie but boy they're they're pretty close to neck and neck these days every time i watch the thing i appreciate it more and more um so yeah that's what we're gonna do so steve and meg are gonna talk about the movies i'm gonna talk about mine probably right off the bat uh, unless there's any objections to that just to nope. get it out of the way um, no I, I was I was gonna say just as champ I'll decide the order and of course the order will be Brian will go first. <laughs> uh, he said, but, nope, do not even talk about that. I yep. will tell you, and but yes, it will be that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, then I'll go second, and uh, Meg will close it out. All right, well, there Wrap you go. Wrap it up. Save the best for last. Yeah. <laughs> So at the end, assuming they both vote for their own movie, then I will have the tie-breaking vote to see who takes home that son of a bitch and strap for the month of October. One other quick thing I would ask you to do, if you're joining us for the first time during this spooky season um, and you like this show, please go ahead and follow us over on the social medias. If you go ahead and follow at uh, Halloween is forever or just, you know, search Halloween is forever on any of them social media platforms, you'll find us. Give us a follow over there. We post a bunch of spooky shit. And if you like the show and you want to go on the Apple podcasts or on a Sportsifies and give us a little five star review uh, and say, hey, like the show. Thanks a whole bunch. If you're interested Shoot me a DM. Say, hey, I reviewed you on there. I left you a little nice note and five stars. We'll send you some some bitch and Halloween is forever stickers in the mail. How's that sound? Does that sound good for everybody? Get on it. All right. Sounds like you're a probably deal. sitting with your fucking phone right now. Come on. Don't be a dick. All <laughs> right. Um, so 
I will jump into this first and I will talk real. Like I said, I'm going to be pretty brief because, again, I understand this is the undercard, right? The main event is Halloween versus the thing. So this is the undercard. I get it. Don't rub it in. Uh, but we are going to talk a little bit about uh, Assault on Precinct 13. So this movie's from 1976. Had you guys seen this movie before? I actually had not. Really? I had seen it uh, maybe once or twice before. It was kind of, I feel like for a little while, hard to find, like when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, it's on YouTube now. So, I mean, you can watch it on YouTube. It's probably streaming in other places and stuff. It's on Tubi is where I watched it. Is it on Tubi? Okay. Mm-hmm. I ended up just watching it on YouTube. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'll give you a little quick. Like I said, it's more of like a thriller exploitation crime drama type of thing. So I guess before I talk about the plot, which I'm just going to kind of high level on and talk about a few of my favorite scenes, because on the whole, my opinion of this flick is it is an entertaining, fun, like violent exploitation type of film that mm-hmm. was shot on a stru- uh, a shoestring budget. I think the idea here now, this was um, John Carpenter's uh, uh, one of his first feature length films. Uh, Dark Star, I think, is for most folks considered to be his first feature length film. That was like a that was literally a, a student film um, that was kind of, you know, got some funding beyond that. But um, this movie uh, was shortly thereafter. And it was supposedly made for under $100,000. Um, mm. But the whole idea was they were giving John Carpenter, uh, you know, full creative control. Um, so he wrote the script. He directed it. He wrote the music, which I'll be honest with you. The music's probably the high point of the it film. It does rule. It mm-hmm. lends so much atmosphere. It lends so much mood to the movie. Um, that's a hallmark I do, of I just want to even make movies. a point because I feel like all of our movies have this thing. And I think what makes John Carpenter such a, an amazing director is that I think he understands how influential music is to yeah. the film. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think all of ours across the board would be like my mm-hmm. one positive thing for all of us. Everything's yeah. iconic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's distinctive. You're going to remember it. And so anywho, I mean, think about Christine without the soundtrack. Right. There would be scenes that would be absolutely fucking lame. But you add the music into it and it's, you know, dr- dread inducing Halloween. Same way. Like yeah. there are scenes that would just be funny, like yeah. without it almost. But then you add the music and you're like, oh, fuck, this just got really sinister. So, um, yeah, hallmark of John Carpenter movies is all, you know, if he's doing the music, he's going to knock it out of the park. Um, Did he? Just, do you know who he worked with on that one? Because I, it seems like he does find really amazing composers to work with. Oh, he does. He composes them. He did it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Wolf. No, for the like mine, he worked with someone to create yeah, the on sound. Yours, so on yours, oh, he worked with Ennio Ennio Morricone. Yeah. So I didn't know if he worked with someone on yours on either of yours, but no, no, no. Keep going. No, no. He he composed it on both. But yeah, isn't that the guy from Goblin? No, 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 no. That's the guy. That's the guy from the good, the bad and the ugly. Oh, yes. that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Spaghetti yeah. Westerns before this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, I was guy. thinking of what the heck is the guy who did all the, uh, that was in Goblin uh, did the music for up to, um, demons and stuff like that. Dang it. Uh, 
he's Simonetti. Doing... Claudia Simonetti. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. They're, they're doing like the they've been doing a lot of the live shows and stuff too, right? Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. I just heard Italian name and I heard boopity boppy boopity boopy <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, same guy. Your hand just instantly started doing <laughs> oh, me. This is amazing. Oh, oh fuck. <laughs> um, oh, so uh, have you either? Of you guys watched the remake of this? No, the 2005 no. remake. No, I did not either. It has um uh 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 ethan hawk in it and lawrence, and lawrence fishburne, fishburne. Yeah. yeah so like it has good people it might be worth a watch i don't know but i feel like 2005 movies aren't quite cool again yet right you know what mm-hmm. i mean like the 90s ones are now the ones you know few years ago everyone was like oh 80s horror rules and like obviously <laughs> that's still happening very much now all of a sudden all these like cringy 90 horrors mo- horror movies everyone's like oh 90s horror is the shit now but we haven't really got to a place where people are nostalgic for 2005 yet but right. it's now coming we have all these very kids soon from like 2000 that were born from 2000 on calling oh yeah like 90s movies classics and you're like oh god i was at that Oktoberfest all weekend and a couple of times, you know, I was in charge of checking people in at the gate and checking their IDs. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I have baseball cards that are older than all y'all motherfuckers. <laughs> I felt old as hell. Um, but yeah, yes. I think I, I think another movie that like kind of fell into that era for me, mm-hmm. and it's like why I didn't watch Assault on Precinct 13, the remake or the original, mm-hmm. is there was uh, the taking of Pelham 123. Oh, my God. And yeah. that remake is so fucking terrible. That's and then you watch the original. Poop. The original yeah. is it's well acted, but it's also a dumb movie. So it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's dumb. They're, yeah. The, 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 yeah. The remake of that one was was genuinely awful. Yeah. So I, um, I was turned off by that because yeah. there was that whole period in the 2000s. where like, we're going to remake old 70s. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we were like Starsky and Hutch and fucking Charlie's Angels and every other thing like, on like it. <laughs> those were all picked. So they were like, all right, let's pick some like we're we're, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here for 70 shit to remake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but so so the one thing I've wanted to talk about with uh, this film is it is it, like I, I already said how it kind of rides the line of being a horror almost. Mm hmm. And just watching this, and I I watched it for the first time, but just watching it, I was like, this is absolutely a quiet remake of Night of the Living Dead. A hundred percent. Yep. And Mm. and John Carpenter has even said that, that this movie was highly influenced by Night of the Living Dead and um, uh, like a lot of spaghetti westerns. Okay. Yeah. Mm. That makes Um, makes a lot of sense. He basically said it's like a cross between like a spaghetti western and Night of the Living Dead. I didn't realize that, but that makes total sense for like even just like the pace of it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I we talked about this a little bit when we were talking Barbarian. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Brian, you said how you weren't a fan of the director of Barbarian, the way he talks about his films. Yeah. And I, I have this thing where I don't listen to filmmakers because of that reason. Like I've been, <laughs> I've been that way for a long time. Like so I've really seen, noticed, there like are certain ones before, I can dude. Like Maybe. there are some that I can stomach, but there's a lot like what's the fucking guy who did Requiem for a Dream and all that. Like Darren Aronofsky. Darren Aronofsky. I want to punch his face. Yeah. But um, uh, uh, the guy who did. Um, oh, my gosh. I just was about to say his name and then I lost it. It's the guy who did um, Edgar Wright. Okay. I do. I, I actually do like to listen to Edgar Wright. Like sure. he does a good job. I love to listen to Joe Dante talk. Mm-hmm. I love me some Joe Dante. Um, there's a few other ones, but yeah, 
Yeah, like, I, I, so you're rolling the dice because you might just start to hate them in their movies after that. And see, and see I just don't roll that dice, and I've yeah. never done it with John Carpenter. But yeah. so, like, yeah, that's that's cool that he's actually said it. But I, I, as watching this, I was just making notes. I was like, okay, there's a black lead, just like Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. There's a catatonic blonde mm-hmm. who is kind of the kickoff. There's a dead child, yeah. and then there's the one shot where we'll get more into the plot but mm-hmm. there's the one shot of the cars on the wide flat angle approaching the precinct mm-hmm. oh yes and it yes, looks yes. so much like the zombie horde yeah approaching the house well and it's even yeah. the one where like the dad gets chased to the precinct mm-hmm. you know they have all of them kind of like showing up on the horizon basically actually that reminds me more of uh of prince of darkness you know with like the yeah. the, the homes people outside but it, it you know definitely you know the the encroaching horde on the horizon type of thing is is uh is is definitely there yeah this this movie did not particularly well in terms of uh, box office in the U.S., um, but it did really well um, at the uh, 1977 London Film Festival. Um, and that's kind of what started to get at this like critical acclaim. Um, and then it kind of became big in Europe. And then ultimately, you know, started to gain this kind of um, cult following. And then, of course, the kind of critical reappraisals that come on the, you know, on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, end of that where it's like oh those people liked it well maybe I like it too you know they start to look through it through a different lens yeah. which the same thing happened with Halloween uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about but like it was getting terrible reviews to all of a sudden it got a really positive review in the village voice and then all of a sudden oh yeah no this is fucking genius you know what I mean <laughs> um, so but it does have a lot of Halloween future Halloween alum as well so as far as the cast is concerned um, the Charles Cypher who uh, plays Starker in this place Sheriff Bracket in Halloween 1 and 2. And are they, is he, no, just the first two, right? Um, and then uh, Nancy... Uh, Nancy oh, Loomis. Yeah, Nancy Loomis. Um, she's now Nancy Keys, I think. But okay. anyway, she plays Julie... Uh, in this movie and she was of course um uh she's annie in annie. yeah oh my god all i could think of was pj souls uh for some reason um <laughs> <That's> yeah. <Linda. laughs> yeah she plays annie uh my god my brain is not working right now um and then there was there was a couple of other people um uh, boy obviously Oh man, there was one other one I'll think about him that that was kind of showed up in a lesser role in uh, in Halloween. But yeah, you see some of those familiar faces um, from the kind of John Carpenter universe of the future at this point. So yeah, so I mean the 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 general I'll give you a high level kind of plot synopsis here, and then I did want to talk about a few scenes that were I think genuinely effective. But like I said, for the most part, it feels like a pretty decent like well shot low budget really greasy grimy exploitation you know violent exploitation crime movie but here's the synopsis right so an unlikely partnership between a highway patrol officer two criminals and a station secretary is formed to defend a defunct los angeles precinct office against a siege of bloodthirsty siege by a bloodthirsty street gang and when they say like an interesting like description of it too bloodthirsty yeah. too you know what i mean i mean and they are like so so much so so uh, you know really high level what like the inciting incident is which 
forgive me, maybe I missed this because I was half asleep and I was watching it this time around. But I be, like I never figured out why, aside from the fact that they were members of a street gang. The inciting incident here is that uh, a bunch of cops basically massacre a bunch of gang members Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. basically trap them in like a a narrow alleyway and just shotgun them like Mm St. Valentine's Day massacre style. But uh, they never really explain why, aside from the fact that they're gang members. Did I miss why the cops were doing that? I mean, besides just like street warfare kind of thing. I think it was they were going after like armament. And then they get yeah. that armament anyway. Yeah, they were getting all the like pistols and assault rifles mm. and shit that were like in the boxes and stuff. But mm-hmm. like they don't explain it or set it up. And it's the opening no. scene of the movie. I'm almost curious if there's like more of a time and place of like what's going on just socially. Like, I don't really know John Carpenter like to do a lot of <sighs> yeah, social commentary. I mean, I guess like L.A. and New York, like street that. crime. Yeah. Like street crime That's on the rise is honestly was, was certainly then. a bigger thing. Like this was when was the whole like New York like subway vigilante killings? Like when did that that wasn't that like 75? the vigilante killings or like the guy that was out there? Oh, who, Bernie like, Getz. Sh- yeah. Um, I thought that was like seventies or eighties. Yeah, I was gonna say was that yeah. before the anyway? Some of this stuff was definitely in the zeitgeist and this idea of like people taking back their community from crime and mm-hmm. you know and all that kind of stuff. So, um, like I said, purely an exploitation film. So typically speaking, you're gonna have a lot of like not even necessarily like deep social commentary as much as mm-hmm. like let's exploit what people are currently scared of. You know what I it mean? Had this, um, yeah. It had this like primitive vibe, like especially like right after that scene happened and we meet the four guys, right? It was four of them that mm-hmm. were like doing like the blood oath type thing. Like mm-hmm. let's stab yeah. ourselves. And in. One of them gets killed in that initial. Yeah. Thing. Right. So it, it has this almost primitive because they don't, they don't talk at right. all. No, so it's like, just this understanding mm-hmm. and you're, you yeah, you're meant to figure out what the fuck is actually happening here. Yeah, <laughs> but somehow it feels familiar though. Yeah, well, yeah. it's also a play on like zombies cuz like the zo- mm-hmm. you know, they sure. never have any lines or anything. It's just mm-hmm. like sure. screaming and hollering as people come through the windows or they're yeah. shot down. Like yeah. it's mm-hmm. never yeah, they never have any lines or anything. So mm-hmm. it it's more of a dehumanization uh towards those characters yeah but yeah it's all it's all just an understanding of like we're gonna go out and cause havoc yeah mm-hmm. yeah but it and has so, a purpose almost in a way though mm-hmm. well it's like we're gonna get revenge on the police force uh for you know killing like half a dozen or eight or something of like the gang members but then the like final remaining like leaders of the gang do this like blood oath where they cut themselves and then you know put all their blood into a little pot and you know this this is like their blood pact that they're gonna you know seek revenge on the police force and um and and apparently just um young children and um just everybody yeah ice cream Mm -hmm. men as well but anyway yeah so um so uh, you know this kind of leads into one of the scenes that i wanted to talk about which is probably the most like maybe they're not the most tense, but definitely the most like disturbing scene, I would say. And certainly in 1976, it probably came across even more so, um, which is where, you know, the three remaining, uh, uh, you know, gang leaders, um, they have just done their blood oath, blood pact thing, whatever. And they're just out there cruising for people to shoot, basically. 
they go up to a uh, ice cream stand or I'm sorry, ice cream truck, pull the driver out. And this guy definitely acts like a zombie. The mate, like the tall white guy, mm-hmm. like fair haired white guy. He just walks up beside the truck and it's almost like the truck just happened to be there and the guy's in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know yeah. what I mean? But otherwise it shows a lot of intention, but he's like act very robotic and stiff in his movements and very, very like emotionless. Um, and the whole idea is he pulls the, 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 uh, the gentleman who's driving the, the ice cream truck out. I thought I did not remember this scene. And I was like, does this get like, uh, sexual here because he like <laughs> sticks his fingers in the guy's mouth and then he has like a like a, a ruger with a silencer on it that he also inserts in his mouth while his fingers are still in his mouth i was like i don't remember this um it's pretty gross because the guy's like you could you can look at him and kind of guess what his fingers smell like you know what i mean yeah um so, <laughs> and i'm just like i don't want that in my mouth anyway so he he eventually um pistol whips him and then just shoots him in the back you know laying on the ground there is a dad with uh his daughter who looks to be maybe like eight or nine years old um and she comes and get had just gotten a scoop of ice cream but got the wrong flavor whatever comes over and says like hey i ordered vanilla twist or whatever and the guy Mm -hmm. just turns and shoots the kid in the chest and they you know the squib pops and the kid does a pretty good job of like having this kind of like surprised face kind of thing she probably Um, was yeah (laughs) because she's a kid and she's never had a squib go off on her yeah it, it did it looked it was pretty but otherwise the kid looks cartoonish yeah. Like it's like mm-hmm. they went to the like and, and they went to, you know, the co- costume people and they were like, OK, um, dress this child up like they're in like a fucking fairy tale. You know what I mean? Or, or yeah, something she's like, like that. It, it's like uh, like I, I keep the, the the name Heidi keeps coming to my name. Like, oh, oh, mm-hmm. uh, Pippi Longstocking. Pippi Longstocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because she has she has the pigtails and she has like the goofy dress and like. Yeah. <laughs> It's the most innocent, but also like cartoonish, you know, way. Yeah. yeah. She's like human raggedy Ann almost. She's like Cindy Brady. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's Cindy Brady. They fucking blow away Cindy Cindy Brady. Yeah, she just gets fucking smoked. And then the dad comes up and he's all upset. And then uh, and then the in his dying breast, the ice cream man tells the dad there's a gun under the dash of the ice cream truck. So he goes and gets this this snub nose 38 um, and goes after uh, the guys in their truck. A uh, guy co- gets out with an assault rifle, hip firing it just like a real fucking psycho. And then <laughs> and then the dad pulls off this unbelievable shot with the snub nose 38, which this is what you would call like a belly gun. Like this is a close quarters gun. Yeah. Uh, and he shoots him from what could be, you don't exactly see, but 20 yards right through the heart <laughs> with him. And, and, but he's clearly just firing willy nilly and then keeps clicking it after, you know, after all the chambers are empty. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he apparently shoots him right through the damn heart. And the guy, like, you know, just does the old, like, fall down robotic, fall down dead situation. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then he gets chased to the precinct, uh, by the rest of the gang and then becomes, you know, kind of a part of the folks that are holed up in the precinct. So, but that, uh, that was probably the best, you know, 
scenes that like because the whole thing with the ice cream truck truck happens in broad daylight, like right in the middle of the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, But this town and I don't know exactly where they shot this, like obviously they they didn't go find like a big set or anything if it's a hundred thousand dollar budget it's supposed to take place in like south central la i wonder if they did shoot it in a neighborhood like that because this neighborhood looks like deserted almost yeah abandoned Mm. not built up but the thing about this is and this is probably the biggest downfall of the movie this is one example of this but several examples exist is where like you just see the seams a lot in the in in the shooting where it's like Okay, you see this neighborhood. There's no one on the street. There's no other mm-hmm. cars. There's no activity. There's no nothing. And then you have this like unbelievably white bread looking father and daughter who look like they just like walked out of, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, Sunday services or something like that. Well, in this, that's explained, yeah. though, Brian, because okay. they say they're they're on their way to pick up uh, the father's mother. Because there, there's a little dialogue between him and his daughter, and they're talking about moving grandma out of a bad neighborhood. Oh, that's right. So they do. So they do recognize <laughs> that they're heading into a bad neighborhood yeah, to yeah. get grandma out. But yeah. that they, you never even see grandma. She has to find this shit out secondhand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what though? That would have been a great sequel. Where like Granny, Granny with a shotgun style, like revenge. that should have been the real death wish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Granny a, with an old person Charles. with nothing to lose. It's just Charles Bronson, but he's doing that thing that Ernest does, where he puts that old oh, woman's yeah. costume with the neck brace. But it's Charles. It's Charles Bronson. <laughs> With yeah. the neck brace and the string of pearls and the shitty <laughs> yeah. wig. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that that's that's probably, you know, my favorite scene. And then after that, you know, the kind of revenge scene with the, uh, you know, with the father. But then he just like he's in a car. He gets mm-hmm. out, dodges bullets, shoots the guy through the heart and then doesn't get in his car and leaves, just stumbles away. Um, I mean, I get it. You know, he's in shock. You know, he does not, you know, doesn't have his, his wits about him. But um, yeah, it, it's just, you know, the, it doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense. And then really the the vast majority of the movie, not the vast majority, but the majority of the of the movie, certainly the, the you know, second half of the movie um, takes place within this precinct uh, where they are don't have any contact with the outside world. They're in this isolated like neighborhood. And then all these street gangs are just basically, you know, siege uh, upon the precinct and they're trying to keep them out. You end up sitting there watching a lot of um, windows breaking and <laughs> gunshot noises like that yeah. feels like it goes on quite a bit mm-hmm. um you know ultimately you do have some surprise kind of uh, cast members that die that maybe you don't expect to die or something but um otherwise it is a you know a, a, a very solid you know 70s exploitation crime movie mm-hmm. um but certainly you know nowhere near the top of my list as far as john carpenter flicks are concerned totally. yeah yeah it's very obvious like this is his first film but like for a first film it's still way better than what a lot of other people make oh well he did he did so much with so little i mean that's the real thing like that's the real thing that makes it special and memorable is Mm -hmm. he did a lot with a little yeah yeah i wanted to um i wanted to ask you guys what you thought about the 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 guy playing napoleon wilson Mm. Uh, his name's Darwin Jostin. I don't really yeah. recognize him from much. 
otherwise. Yeah, he was in, what did I, I was poking around IMDb because I knew I knew him from something and I found it and I can't remember what it was. Oh, um, he's in The Fog and mm-hmm. then he's also in Eraserhead. Right. Yeah. So the, the, those are the ones I recognize his face from, but there was a TV show that I feel like I already also knew him from too. Mm. Let me see. What else? Did he do? Oh, he, well, that makes sense. He did a lot of episodes can't like just little cameo spots in a bunch of different like 70s and 80s sitcoms he was on alf mm-hmm. <laughs> he was he was on hill street blues he was on knight rider he was on remington steel spencer airwolf i don't know what time walker is uh, gunman's blues i don't know that either yeah like i said he was in s- small character in the fog and eraser head um yeah. So, yeah, so, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was a character actor. He did a lot of stuff. But like, did you? Uh, what did you feel about like his character? Because like, it feels like he's supposed to be playing this. Uh, he's a criminal, and he's right. like in jail for murder. Yeah, and he's supposed to be playing like this suave debonair, almost Max Cady like. Yeah, mm-hmm. I almost thought it was kind of like um he he was uh. He, Max Cady is a is a better example, but I in my mind I almost was like they almost tried to make him seem like he was Hannibal Lecterish a little bit, right? In that mm. he was like a little supposed to be a little bit smarter than the average criminal, a little bit mm. more savvy, and then of course you know he has the kind of whole escape attempt and all that stuff. So like he's this hyper dangerous kind of yeah. career career criminal. And he's supposed to be like charismatic, but at the same time, like I don't know, he just wasn't like. I didn't feel like he was handsome enough to pull this off. He's kind of like weird looking. He's just gr- he's like really greasy. Like his yeah. hair is really mm. greasy. Um, he didn't. You know who he reminded me of is like a younger. Uh, obviously, he's not the same person because this was years later. But if you took the guy who played and I forget his name, the dad that wants to stay in the basement in uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, like he looks like him almost, but younger and with more hair and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But yeah, like, yeah. that's who I kept seeing when I when I looked at him. Um, but yeah, he was he was he it felt like he was going to be almost like an antihero type. Mm-hmm. But you it, never really ended up caring about yeah, it. At it, felt, all. it felt like that's what they were pushing, but he just doesn't like fill out that role. Like yeah. He's not handsome enough. He's not believable enough. Mm-hmm. Like he's a, like he's a slimy criminal. Yeah. But you never like really get to love him like you're supposed like I think they no, want you, never you to care about him. Yeah. yeah. No, I think like the way I saw his character was that I was almost expecting along the way that I feel like if, you know, if there I, I didn't see the remake, so I don't know if there was a character like him. I'm assuming there mm-hmm. was that I feel like we would see that character be a little bit more prominent in this guy mm-hmm. felt a little bit more one dimensional um, in this specific role. I mean, granted, yeah. it could be just time and place and like. You know, I I give a lot of um, slack to this being like one of John Carpenter's first films and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, I guess I just felt like he was a little bit more one dimensional and I expected him to be more of a forefront. And like you said, anti-hero is a great word for that. But yeah, yeah, um, I think Lawrence Fishburne is in the in the role. But like, it's weird. They they name his character Marion Bishop. So he's mm-hmm. named after the sergeant who's the lead, 
yeah. in this one, but he's a criminal in this one. That seems kind of racist. Well, it does a little <laughs> bit. And also like the sergeant was, you know, obviously like the hero, the archetype archetype hero in this movie yeah um and it's wonder if it was they thought they were being cute and doing like a role reversal where like now the now the criminal is is the archetype hero instead of the highway patrolman guy um i don't, I don't know. know i don't know Listen, i didn't see it <laughs> i'm gonna see i didn't see it either i'm just speculating but i do want to say that if you want to check out any um you know more work by um, our guy there that, uh, what was his name, Darwin Johnston, I would strongly urge you to suggest, or strongly suggest you to go check out season one, episode three, Looking for Lucky um, from 1986 of ALF, where he plays <laughs> his you know most celebrated role as, uh, I think, pet shop attendant. Sure. So dog pound <laughs> attendant really oh. nailed that one. Yeah, really got he, really so he got possibly snubbed. captures Alf in this episode. <laughs> yeah, he got snubbed by the Academy for dog pound attendant. All right. Uh, any final thoughts? Like I said, let's not waste too much time on Assault on Precinct 13. Not that it's not an enjoyable film. You should definitely check it out. Get on the tubies and check it out. Uh, but listen, for spooky season, there's better stuff to talk about. There's better stuff to watch. Yeah. The the only thing I'll say as a final thought for me is that I miss squibs. I know. Squibs <laughs> are so fun. I miss squibs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my only final thoughts were, as I mentioned before we got on this episode, and I have to make sure all of our listeners know, is that following up on our last episode of Butts is mm. that like because it was just on my mind is that mm. one of the four, which then turned three um, mm. main like villains characters had a ridiculous badonkadonk on a guy <laughs> too. So I, so if you're looking at thinking of the scene where the three walk up and they're kind of trying to intimidate um, everyone inside and they have that flag type thing that they throw on the ground, that's mm -hmm. the scene where I was like, look at that guy. <laughs> That's like where they where they declare war kind of thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I didn't notice it. Um, but listen, uh, for whatever reason, 70s guys jeans did a lot more for butts than 70s women's jeans. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> 10 out of 10, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, we can rate that, that, but a good, um, I'd give it a good eight out of 10. Yeah, I was gonna say I go as high Round, as eight point five. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a it was a bubble butt. That's that's it uh, was for sure. All right. Um, so who's 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 jumping here, Steve? Remind it's me. It's my turn. It's my okay. turn. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's talk about a little movie called Halloween from nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, also yeah, directed yeah. by John Carpenter. Music Are by you? John Carpenter. Oh, Script wow. by John Carpenter and Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this movie fucking rules. Mm -hmm, I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't know how much like I really need to talk about this film. Uh, yeah. But we were talking about how Assault on Precinct Thirteen is John Carpenter doing a lot with a little. Yep. Mm -hmm. This film is absolutely him doing the most with a little. Mm -hmm. uh, the, there is so much he goes into with again, just movement of camera is mm -hmm. pretty impressive. Uh, mm -hmm. it, like you think about the scenes where early on uh, Michael is fi uh, following Tommy Doyle mm -hmm. uh, from the school 
to yep. stalk Lori. And you have this cam- like it's a long camera take and the camera gets in the car and then the camera moves in the car as the yep. car is moving along. There's so much uh, great one shots uh, mm-hmm. throughout this film. Uh, it even opens with a fantastic one uh, yep. from the POV of young Michael as yep. he's going into his home, picking up the butcher knife, going upstairs and like throwing do- on the clown mask yeah. as one mm-hmm. does doing the clown <laughs> stabbing your sister's tits <laughs> as one does doing the cat and mouse with the boyfriend so he yep. don't see you because <laughs> right, right. he's gonna ask questions why are you gonna try to stab your sister's tits in it uh, also i mean that guy he needed to get he was just trying to get the fuck out of there because he oh, literally yeah. he literally came in like 14 seconds oh yeah he burst nerds and bust out <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he was like, he was out. like, all right, let's get, all right, we ready to get intimate? Here we go, uh, bye! And he just launched himself out the window. It's there's a lot of, I think, I think that's how John Carpenter really excels. He portrays high school sex as best anybody does, yeah. in that it takes literally less than ninety seconds. <laughs> yeah, no, like, it was great too with that one scene. Where, I mean, slightly further into it, and then the chick is just like so satisfied, and you're like, mm-hmm. I know she's playing. Nothing yeah. happened. <laughs> Nothing yeah. happened. Yeah, Bob yeah. also is you know four strokes, and then he's got to yeah. get. <laughs> That's right. I call him old full four stroke Bob. Yeah, uh, four stroke they, Bob. He he, he Bob. has that the gla- those glasses that he has. Mm-hmm. My dad had those exact glasses. Sick. <laughs> exact glasses. <laughs> Good old Bob. He got yeah. it. Um, and of course, the great PJ Souls in that film. Yeah. Well, in that scene as well. Yeah. 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 PJ Souls in that, in that, and, and again, just like the cast is pretty top tier, at least mm-hmm. within the, uh, the three, uh, girls who get stalked through it, because obviously you have Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm. and we talked about, uh, Nancy Loomis, now keys mm-hmm. and, uh, PJ souls. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all, yeah, they're all the eventual victims. Right. Jamie Lee Curtis is grandma to me. She grandma forever yeah. in my life. Yeah, no, she's, yeah. she's like <laughs> and she, grandma she, horror. She was um, relatively unknown at this point. Uh, unknown mm-hmm. in the sense that, of course, her her parents were famous actors, but like this right. was her first big role. Mm-hmm. Like really, where she was showcased, she was the you know the heroine, the 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 main protagonist. Um, yeah, this was this was really her her first big one. Now, this was not meant to be a big movie but ultimately became a big movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of, uh, but it kind of side channeled Hollywood a little bit in that way. And yeah. for that reason, I think for like, until the Blair Witch Project came out, which was what, like 94, 99, 99, yeah. 99. Yeah. I was gonna say 94 yeah. too early. Yeah. So in 99, so from 1978 to 1999, this was still the highest grossing independent film Mm-hmm. all time mm-hmm. yeah and, and again it's just back to it's back to john carpenter doing the most with mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. uh so much of the film happens in the daylight yeah like mm-hmm. it's not even it's not really until the third act that it really yeah. becomes nighttime but like even during that daylight carpenter takes advantage of the fact that he doesn't have a whole lot of lights to work with mm-hmm so it makes the day scenes feel more oppressive and dark. Mm-hmm. You know, like w- w- when Lori's in the school, you know, they have her positioned up against the window. Mm-hmm. But that's I don't think that's out of 
just like happenstance. It's because they didn't have the lights. Sure. <laughs> yeah, probably you know? not. It's like, you know, we want to flick on the old fluorescent lights in here. Probably not. No. Yeah, um, I mean, it, the movie did kind of have this like muted tone to it during the day. But I feel like what that did was, it, I mean, it definitely gave you the impression of time of year. But also like, I mean, that movie was filmed in California. So mm-hmm. that takes yeah. a lot to like really work up against. So it's going to yeah. be OK. I'm just going to preface everything that I'm going to say is that it's hard to like tear apart this movie. But there's things that I can like pick apart and but I mean when it comes to that type of thing I think it works in its favor is that no matter what even if majority of it was during the day you still kind of had this tenseness to it oh yeah, it's yeah. Still, well, I think know it was that shot. time of year you know what I mean yeah. yeah and it also like so it was shot in like you know like the spring or summer in Pasadena but they brought in leaves like <laughs> like dry leaves not a ton of them but a few um and it's so funny because between that and like the breeze and the kind of overcast kind of nature of it like it does pass for illinois in, yeah. you know mm-hmm. in october um right. which is so wild because it was probably 90 freaking degrees you know what i mean that right. day but probably i mean you can have like I've, I've seen this movie more than any other movie probably um and you you do start to know where to look and say like okay that's clearly a palm tree back there you know what i mean right. <laughs> um but for the most part like they really nailed the whole like midwest autumnal thing um on like i said sh- just just clever shooting essentially the other yeah. scene i wanted to mention which is maybe my favorite scene in the movie um is it's early on and it's one of the few scenes in the dark early on which is where you know loomis and and uh, nurse marion go to uh pick up michael and transport him but he's broken out and when they pull up to the um the asylum and the lightning flashes and you see all the uh uh all the escape patients that are just wandering around in the rain out in the in the field just in the you know illuminated by the headlights of the car that i just love that scene yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's such a great simple setup and -hmm. like there could have been a whole different movie about that like you know recapturing all the patients of a smith's grove yeah but it's just such a simple setup of like it's a dark and stormy night and it's mm-hmm. the setup of like that old urban legend mm-hmm. of the guy who's clawing at the side of the door. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have sure. it, like they're not a couple, but Nurse Marion and Dr. Loomis are like in this car. It mm-hmm. gets stopped, you know, and like there's some somebody clawing at the side of the door and, you know, it's Michael Myers busting into the car mm-hmm. yeah. with this little tiny wrench. Yeah, with his tiny wrench and then just <laughs> slams his big hand into the window. Yeah. That's I feel like if favorite, anyone was like, going to come pumpkin spice, it would be Michael Myers and it would be in the same scenario. Might, he might. I just imagine Michael Myers doesn't have genitals. It's just like it's like yeah, a, it's like a Barbie or a Ken doll. Yeah. It's just yeah. kind of like that's why he's so up. upset about people yeah. fucking. <laughs> yeah. He's like, if I can't like, I fuck, burst no nerds. one Don't you can want fuck. My pumpkin spice? <laughs> he, he, he has like he has like phantom pains in his genital area <laughs> yeah. but he doesn't know why yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's constantly blue balled he's just like yeah oh, i gotta come i don't know why that'd be really funny if that was just like the overarching theme that we just like now get revealed hey guys tm mm-hmm. tm tm uh we just revealed yeah. the actual yeah. ultimate reason why he will never die is because he's just trying to burst nerds i can't yeah. i want to but instead i'm just gonna eat this dog that's 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 carpenter's deathbed confession it's like michael never had a dick (laughs) so 
yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much because I feel like so many people have seen this movie. So to go through the plot, mm-hmm. it's just kind of insane. But I think some of the things that like I loved about it are things we talked about with. I think one of the huge like overarching I will give this so much props is that there's a lot of tensity created just through the actual cinematography Mm -hmm. some of the things Mm -hmm. where I will start like picking holes is that I feel like the acting almost comes across as like these caricatures of these um types like types of people in like high school you know it kind of so it kind of reminds me of this like this campy high school type movie which i mean in all reality at that point it probably can be but i felt like that was one of the weaker points that got better over time as like these movies like um matured and so on and so forth whereas like where i would only like to put the thing is that above that is that i felt like the characters in the thing kind of had this more authenticity to who they were, even though they had some slight caricatures of it and they were still playing yeah. these like archetypes throughout it. But, um, that would be, yeah. I mean, one, I would say one is, one is obviously like a sci-fi monster movie and the mm-hmm. other one is like a proto slasher. And yeah. sure. you got to remember like a lot of these tropes that we think of as being these like teeny bopper slasher tropes, not that Halloween was the first slasher film, but, it's the one that put slashers on the map and established mm-hmm. so many of those tropes. Exactly. Yeah. So like, it's almost like it has to be exempt from that argument almost. Cause it's like, you know, yeah. Teeny bopper slasher tropes, but it's like, yeah, this movie kind of like established those. Right. It and, started and, it. <laughs> yeah. That and, and like black Christmas and stuff have a little bit of a similar, similar vibe mm-hmm. in that here's the cast of character. Here's the friends. They're going to, you know, let's get to know them in a way where they like joke around with each other and bust each other's balls and stuff Here's like the one that. that likes books. Here's the yeah. one that likes to fuck. Here's the one yeah. that yeah. drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, it started that mm. prototype. You know, it was the prototype for everything mm. that followed, especially, you know, Friday the 13th followed it up and all of those characters are even worse right. in being locked in their ways. My argument against the thing is that there's so many characters you actually don't learn that much about them they only service like their jobs within the research facility Mm. and it's really only mccready and maybe gary and the doctor that you get like a good sense of who they are i can agree with that for sure and i think though to a certain extent with the thing though that i don't know if it matters as much as that we have so much character development because it's less about besides the few that you mentioned that I will agree with that we get to know and we care about is that it's more about that like lack of trust. And we're talking about like the boogeyman versus like this weird existential crisis that's going on in another film. And, and so I think we're all being fair here and understanding Mm. these are very clearly two different films. So I I actually would disagree with, with Steve a little bit that like, yes, no, I won't disagree. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. It is you don't get to know the characters nearly as much as you get to know them with the smaller cast. But with this type of paranoia movie, you kind of, you know, it's 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 really a whodunit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like a damn space alien giallo flick or something. Right. So Mm -hmm. for having so many people for all having all the clue characters kind of thing, you actually do like because I'm I'm, I'm like looking down the cast here because I was just I always forget. Like as many times as I've seen these movies, I always get like Fuchs and Bennings and Gary and who's who kind of thing. Like I mm-hmm. sometimes forget who's who. Um, but like, you know, 
they have like distinguishing characteristics. Like if you said every single one of them, it's like, you know, obviously McCready, you know, is is Kurt Russell's character. He's the he's the badass, you know, Childs mm-hmm. is kind of his other like the other leader guy. You know, Dr. Mm-hmm. Blair is this, you know, the scientist doctor who's kind of defeatist and losing his mind you know clark's the guy who likes dogs you know you could just kind of <laughs> go down the road like you know gary's the kind of uh uptight straight man you know uh you know fuchs is the smart ass you know so you could just kind of mm-hmm. like go down the line you're like they kind of have an they, they kind of do enough to establish who they are right and what kind of behavior to expect out of them yeah yeah, yeah. you 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 get you get what you're supposed to get out of those characters mm-hmm. i'm just saying like it's it's not worth picking apart the halloween characters being stereotypical in their roles mm-hmm. when because i mean yeah you can name them as well and you know who they are you know yeah, yeah and Tommy I really Doyle's think, like, the kid I'm coming, and, I'm coming at it from a place of like if like if we're putting these two movies head to head which one what do i like about each one and which one do i not like about each of them and like for me i kept coming back to this feeling of like classic versus timeless and Mm -hmm. like i felt like all the elements of halloween kept hitting this classic film which are something i would rewatch on an annual basis whereas like the thing hits this place where I can rewatch this movie over and over and over again and never be bored. Like always find something even more interesting and be excited about certain scenes um, versus like where Halloween, I kept coming like, no, this is an amazing film. This is like something that everyone should watch and it will always be a staple in the horror universe. But like, if I'm talking favorites and elements that make something better than the other, and we're just putting these two head to head, I, again, if we're go, if I don't know, do we want to do this? Like, just like jump into both and just start. I have, I have some more things about. I want to, I have some more things okay, I want to cool. talk about right. as far yeah, as well, Halloween then, goes. Yeah. Yeah, please do that. Then I won't um, overtake that. Then and but well, I was pretty I just much going finish, finish your finish your thought. Yeah, finish your thought. Yeah, though. yeah. I, I mean, I was really looking at classic versus timeless, and I felt like the thing to me has become a thing that's timeless, and I can watch it mm. any time of the year. I can um, just find something even more interesting every time I watch, and I still just get really excited yeah. over it. But again, that's uh, my personal preference. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that as well, just because I feel like the thing stands out on its own as its own thing. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, but like because Halloween has been mimicked so many times and because Halloween has so many fucking sequels, you know, like, you know, there is a dilution, but man, just going back to this original, it really blew me away. Just how smart it was with, again, the way the camera moves, the way everything is set up. Like you have that great shot where Dr. Loomis first meets Sheriff Brackett on the street and this is right after Annie and Lori have been talking to Sheriff Brackett about, you know, there's been a break in at a store mm-hmm. and the break in is about like somebody stole a mask and a bunch of ropes and shit. And they they were smoking it. They were smoking a J and they're all smoking a J. <laughs> yeah. And like, there's no way I'm Sheriff Brackett wouldn't out. have smelled it because yeah. <laughs> they yeah. were hot boxing in the car. But yeah. yeah, so like those characters pull away. But like, obviously, Sheriff Brackett's talking about Michael Myers and up shows Dr. Loomis and Dr. Loomis and Sheriff Brackett are talking. And in the background, you see the uh, you see the car with Michael Myers in it. And he's just mm-hmm. waiting you know, to make a turn. Yeah. And like, had Dr. Loomis turned around, he would have seen it, but you know, it, it's such a great, like framing and setup for everything yeah. and the way everything pays off. Um, the other thing I want to mention, especially is again, we talked about it 
Assault of Precinct 13, but the sound design Mm -hmm. is so important and so strong. Like, again, obviously that music's become iconic, but even just the general sound design and choices, like the way Michael breathes and just has that, like, like you can just tell it's a deranged person under the Mm -hmm. mask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, you never, you see his face like twice for, you know, small points of time, Mm -hmm. but you don't need it. You just hear it under his mask and he's just breathing like a deranged maniac. And you know, that's what it is. You're speaking to everything that I love about certain things where I will have talked about it over and over again is like what your mind can create based Mm -hmm. on these elements, I think is so much stronger than a lot of things. Yeah. So it is a plus for me too. The, uh, and it's just, it's one of those things I feel like this film should be shown a lot more in film school. I don't know how much it is. Yeah. But like, there's so many, you, you, when you watch a lot of these cheap independent films that come out, especially like on Tubi and on other places, their sound is so fucking trash. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's like, like one of the first things I notice. Like yeah. when you're on there, it's like, what, what did this, is this like a rip of a rip of a rip? Like what the <laughs> fuck? Why, why in this, this age, like where you can have like a good quality recording on your phone, does your sound suck so bad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. People, people have focused so hard on visuals, but this, this, film is like the antithesis to that idea because again there's so much natural lighting mm-hmm. uh you know they're, they're not using big 500k lights to light a set they don't have a uh you know a 4k red you know weapon uh, they have just you know 35 millimeter 16 millimeter you know cameras filming in the dark <laughs> filming yeah. shadows and they're doing the best mm-hmm. with it and then they make up for it on the back end with the way John Carpenter scores everything and the way Mm -hmm. you have like those very specific music stings you have, you know, uh, you know, Brian already mentioned it. Like if you, if you take out the soundtrack, a lot of this could seem really fucking silly, right? Totally. (laughs) you know, but like Mm -hmm. you put it in and it, it, it it jars you and it moves you in a way that's, you know, really important. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, another note I had, and it's back to like, just, you know, just to this film being a little smarter than its sequels, definitely than its sequels. <laughs> but it's it's except when for lo- six. I mean, I assume you mean except for six. Uh, yeah, except for six. Yeah, when yeah. they really get into the cult shit. <laughs> um, but no, the, uh, it's the scene where Lori's in the classroom, and she's sitting there, and the teacher is talking about uh, they're they're talking about different uh, authors and the way they look at fate. Mm-hmm. And it's just a small little commentary about like why everything is about to happen. Yeah. And it, it's just talking about how fate just is. You can't stop fate. It was always going to happen. You couldn't have changed it. Mm-hmm. And that's what's you know happening. The, the reason why Lori is about to be stalked by or it currently is being stalked by Michael Myers is she just so happened had to go drop off a key at the Myers yeah. house when he was there. Yeah. And he's yeah, like some butterfly effect for I think the entire yeah. like franchise in general too. I don't you know. No, I don't well, think it no, is. That's no, not I mean, they not fuck each it movie, up but later. I mean, no, but I mean, like in general, like you, it sets up something that everyone else can play off. Is really what I'm getting at too. It's like mm. where it's this inescapable fate. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I I would agree with that. They 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 really fuck it up uh, by trying to explain it. Which mm-hmm. the scariest thing about Michael Myers is that it was an accident. 
you know, right. that, that he, you know, it, it was, it was an accident. Well, the scariest thing about Lori's situation is that it was an accident. Right. Um, Michael was going to victimize somebody and it just happened to be her cause she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then the whole question is why does Michael do what he does? And it's, you know, cause his fucking brains broke, you know what I mean? So, but the problem with the sequels is when they start to do, oh, their brother and sister, and then, oh... Uh, it was uh, a preordained cult, know, and the yeah, cult of Thorn always it, needs the vessel, and the... Uh, yeah, and then it's just, not to say I don't like those movies, but they're such a dramatic downgrade they're not, from they're not the smart. first. Or, yeah, because they just, they're trying to just... It, it's like you're getting the the icing tube just squirted into your mouth instead of having any, <laughs> any Danish associated with with it or any cake you know yeah. what I mean? that just sounded yeah. insanely sexual sorry like mm-hmm. all those words just <laughs> yeah, came yeah. out of your mouth squirting the creamy Dan- creamy yeah, icing and the danish like i'm just instantly like it's Why now is phallic danish symbol because they like, can be like long and thin you know what i mean like sorry i have like my brain's in the gutter at the moment apparently yeah well i'll it's- continue on within the gutter because i had i wanted to bring something up i re- i realized on the rewatch that halloween is the origination of stuck porn What's stuck porn? Wait, what's stuck stuck porn? porn is when the girls are stuck in a dryer or a window. Oh, 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 oh yeah, geez. like oh, I, I got my I, head stuck in the dryer. Subgenre. Yeah, yeah, that's a new. That's, yeah. yeah, that's a I new need genre. To find a video now. <laughs> just, it's, just look up stuck porn. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm stuck here. Oh help shit, me I'm out. getting banged. And then, right. Yeah, yes. you don't help. You just get banged. Okay, cool. Yeah, Hurt. but this is the origination of it because <laughs> there's the scene where Annie is doing her clothes in the laundry. This. And she yeah. goes, yeah, she goes out and she gets stuck in the window, but then mm-hmm. she calls, she comes back and she's talking to Paul and yeah. Paul's like, oh, you got stuck. Yeah, that's yeah, hot. You fucking did. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what would happen if I was there? I would bang you. <laughs> oh, dude, I totally wow. like lick all that butter that you de- spilled on your shirt. And- <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ. Oh, my God. Um, but yeah. Okay. Hall- Halloween invented stuck porn. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's or at least wow, inspired John it. John Carpenter, what an influencer he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. genre bender. I had a couple quick things that I wanted to, you know, kind of bring up, which was, um, again, one of the more iconic scenes I was obsessed with as a kid, and I still love it. And I've come to appreciate, I think, like the um, the sanitarium nighttime rain scene Um and and even the one out, you know, looking out the window, mm-hmm. um, you know, when when Lori's in the classroom. But the other one I would be remiss if I didn't mention is the clothesline scene. You know, yeah. when, mm-hmm. when Lori gets home and you get oh, that totally. quick snapshot of him with the blowing. I mean, that's an iconic image. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with that scene. I think a lot of people who really love this movie and watched it on VHS a thousand times over, which I got the, my first VHS copy of this from my aunt Jill, but she bought it. She did buy it at Big Lots. So full circle to our Big Lots story. Uh, <laughs> Steve's drink. She, she bought everything at Big Lots. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember being obsessed with the scene and now like, you know, being involved in like, you know, going to like horror conventions and just like, you know, horror community in general. A lot of people who are diehard fans of this movie have such a connection with that scene, too, because it's almost a jump scare, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but not it's not a you it, the music associated with the scene specifically. They could have did a big sting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But instead, they just do that. They just twinkle the keys a little bit when right. he's mm-hmm. out there, and it's that eerie, 
um, like this intro movie just has twinkle. this like slow burn feel to it too. Like I think yeah. that's what makes like because at times like if I'm like taking a step back and I'm like sometimes it feels slow, but like that's the point, and it's mm-hmm. like nothing needs to move fast in it at mm-hmm. all because you know, and it, it feeds into Michael is never gonna fucking go away. Mm-hmm. He is right. going to be if it makes you think in your brain like he this is relentless. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is something that's it's I, I don't know how else to say it besides what I said. Hopefully that it's, makes sense well, to people. But it does, it makes sense, and it's it's in that way. It's actually kind of structurally similar to the thing because, like in the thing, you get you get the monster very early on, but then sure. you have kind of the lingering paranoia, and you get the mm-hmm. same thing in Halloween. Like you get the threat and physicality of Michael early on because he's mm-hmm. he breaks the window, steals the car. You, you see like that he's willing to kill a tow a tow truck driver and steal all his clothes uh so you get you know you you understand how dangerous he is to begin Mm -hmm. with but then it's just that relentlessness because you're always seeing him in the background his car is always following Mm lori and everybody you know it so it's there nobody's stopping him and you, you, as the viewer, are the only one who knows that he's there and dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. You almost feel part of it in a way because you feel mm-hmm. like you're a little bit of a step ahead of the characters in a way. So, right. Yeah. No, no, I think it is definitely effective in a lot of ways. But I think, like, the differentiation based on the comparison is that, like, um, we get that thread up front and then we get just like this constant sense of like unknowing throughout the thing. And I, I appreciate that so much because like we, we as the viewer don't actually know what's going on. I think in a lot of ways we get red herrings a lot throughout it mm-hmm. where we're like, Oh, maybe that person, maybe that person. And right. um, I think that that's what always like made me even more excited about that. So mm-hmm to make comparisons but uh, yeah also just to go along with uh the point of like michael myers being omnipresent in this film is what Mm -hmm. it sets it apart from so many other slashers that came afterwards because Mm -hmm. so many other slashers are dependent on the jump scare like you heart like you never see pamela Voorhees really Mm -hmm. in friday the 13th uh you see jason pop up in places and then like he'll teleport ahead and then pop up again. So it's, it's rarely the same kind of stalking that you get in well, this film. This is much more like sorry, grounded. Yeah. Sorry to like interrupt on this. Like, but this is like, and this is one of my sticking, I think sticking points where we see the differentiation is like when you go into like Friday the 13th, you know, Jason is dead, you know, throughout the whole thing. And it, we talked about this when we were covering all the Friday the 13th stuff. Um, whereas I think it became a frustration with Halloween too, where Jason has this mysticism ar- around him that like mm-hmm. you can give exception to all the randomness that comes along with it. Whereas right. Michael Myers became frustrating it, more so even recently where I'm just like, what the fuck is this guy actually superhuman or is he <laughs> dead is he alive is he a ghost and he's just never going to go away and that and that unknowing whether or not it benefits has become a frustration for me this movie if i'm looking at it solely i'm not going to say it's a frustration because we don't fucking know that at this point we know he's just as like a beastly fucking man of a dude yeah. and he's just going to fuck shit up 
But also, also he just is omnipresent in this film again right. because he's on screen all the time. But so we he's not. We're not yeah. given that idea that he is this somehow. Whether you're using omnipresent because he's like this, like. I don't no, know, I mean, he's only present as in he's, uh, he, I mean, he's only present as you physically see him. You see him in the oh, car. Oh, sure, sure. Oh, sure, yeah. sure, yes. Okay, like, okay, got it. Whereas Jason is on screen, off screen, because mm-hmm. he's like teleporting around the world sure. itself. Yeah, he's sure. popping up. He's popping up and it's like a, almost like a haunted house type of situation mm-hmm. with, right. with Jason where like, I think the thing that I always liked about Michael too is like, it was essentially, you know, Jason is... Um, you know, supernatural, obviously, right. because he comes back from the dead uh, in the very first movie at the very end. And then for all the subsequent sequels after that, he is essentially you are meant to believe that he had come back from the dead. I mean, he, yeah. he was dead. <laughs> right. He, he yeah. done drowned it a minute ago. He drowned it as a baby and then yeah. come back as a baby yeah. and then somehow also a goof man. <laughs> and also a grown goof man. So, but the idea is like, oh, they explain it away with, oh, it's 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 supernatural. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's some sort sure. of supernatural stuff. But I think the, the thing I like about Halloween is, especially the first one, I mean, Nick Castle, who plays uh, Michael in the first movie, uh, for, for most of the scenes, Tony Moran is actually um, him when he gets his mask pulled off, like mm-hmm. in the kind of climactic scene. But um, uh, 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 Nick Castle, he's not a big guy. No. He's tall, but he's lanky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he is a, he is like, I, I imagine like he looks like Shaggy from Scooby Doo under that there. Buff you know what I mean? Man suit. Well, he's not even doing that. <laughs> if you watch how, I mean, the first Halloween, like, that suit's it, too big for him. It's too big for him. He's kind of a scrawny yeah. looking dude, which always made him more scary to me because his super, you know, the supernatural element of it is, it's not supernatural. It's basically that the human brain is supernatural. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. anything we think might be supernatural on this earth is the, the, the only way we can describe it is it's our brain perceiving the world in a different way. So his oh, brain totally. is abnormal in that way. And that gives him uh, this enormous detriment, which is to say he's a, um, a, you know, a one-minded killing machine that eats people's dogs. But he's also like, impervious to pain basically mm-hmm. um for right. for the most part so um yeah that, that that's that's why i always thought it was a smarter approach than than like jason was the i i like i love all the a lot of the friday the 13th movies but i just think that they were just they're just a dumbed down version yeah i guess yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's always been dumber yeah. um just a couple other notes i had uh, it was the nerddom of uh, I think John Carpenter coming through, but mm. obviously one of the things that it's very funny that were is uh, Tommy Doyle and Lindsay the the kids that are being babysat through mm-hmm. the film. They're watching scary old horror movies. Yep. Mm-hmm. One of them is obviously the thing. You see the mm-hmm. title sequence come up, which yep. it, it's just very funny that that's in Halloween. Carpenter is obviously calling a shot yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> somewhere yeah, yeah. down the line. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other one, though, that is interesting is it, uh, Forbidden Planet. Mm-hmm. And he even purposes the score to work within Halloween mm-hmm. is it's after Annie's been killed. And Tommy Doyle's looking out the window like he he had this idea he's going to scare Lindsay, but then he hides behind a curtain and -hmm. he looks out the window and the Forbidden Planet score is playing 
while he looks and he sees Michael Myers taking Annie's body. Yeah. And carrying carrying her, her like, you know, almost like the, you know, bride and groom traditional kind of carry, mm-hmm. like carrying her like or, that across the front line. Or like the Forbidden Planet poster in which Robbie the Robot oh, is carrying yeah. Anne Francis. Mm. Yeah, I never think about that. That's, That's great. Clever. I never thought about that. Yeah. I just I, I forgot that that um, the Forbidden Planet was in there. I remember obviously they're they're watching um, you know thing from another world, but I completely forgot that um, Forbidden Planet was on in the back at this. Point. Mm-hmm. I I mm-hmm. like I said I've seen this movie a hundred times, um, but. Uh, it feels like every time both of these movies, frankly, I feel like I like notice things again. It's yeah. one of those movies where I used to watch it so frequently that it would be like 90% of the time you're like half paying attention just because it's always mm-hmm. on. Like I can <laughs> recite every word probably along with the actors to the movie. But then if you point something out in the background or something, I'll be like, oh, I never noticed that before. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe I'm just not observant, but. No, I find it so funny. I like just like did a Google. So I had it up on my screen and I was like, the first thing is when Halloween is going to be on TV. And it's like every day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every forever. Forever. Yeah. yeah there, for the next 31 days, y'all. Yeah. There, there was one I saw recently. It was on Red Letter Media. Uh, you'll probably enjoy, Brian. But it was there. It, there's a scene in the film where, like, I think it's when Lori's hiding in the closet. But, like, she has, like, some stippling on her forehead mm-hmm. because she had been sleeping on a velour couch. Yeah. And they got her for the scene. And <laughs> like, she just came up there. Yeah, and she just, just came up and like it. she has she has the indents from the couch yep, on her head. <laughs> I remember watching this on like I don't remember what it is. I don't know if it was AMC or something like this, like maybe ten or fifteen years ago. And they used to have basically the the movie equivalent of like pop up video. Mm-hmm. Do you mm. remember when they used to do that? And you would watch the movie, and then they would have the little blurbs pop up with like little bits of facts and trivia. Hmm. I like that I idea. Think, yeah, I think because they did a lot of older movies, didn't they? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. want to say it was IFC or, or AMC. It might have been IFC. I f- mm. um, but I remember watching that in college and that one popping up. Um, yeah. But then they also had a bunch of like just not correct stuff pop up like since <laughs> since then like i remember learning stuff and then like um going back and and watching that and being like that's not no that's not true that's completely fabricated <laughs> like because they said like john carpenter didn't like made the whole movie for like thirty thousand dollars yeah it's, like, no, it's not it was like three hundred thousand dollars but yeah. still it's super low budget but you think they got donald pleasance for and everything else for thirty thousand dollars like <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't think but a fun fact they're not in the same episode, but uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance, both in episodes of Columbo. No shit. <laughs> yeah. What's Columbo? <laughs> Do, have you seen it? You never saw Columbo? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, Columbo is like, um, it's a, what, what it's, it was in the 70s, I guess. It was like, yeah. a, you would know if you saw Columbo. Like if you saw the main character, he's like a police detective that like he acts like he's dumb, but he's really yeah. smart. Like you would know him if you saw him. It's a, it's a, it's a great show. It actually went from the seventies oh. into the two thousands. I'm like, really not two thousands. Oh my yeah. god! Did you guys ever watch um, Shameless? Uh, I've seen not previews enough. and stuff, Sorry, but or I mean, I saw like 
promos. I just I mean. googled the Get Lee the character like the Columbo, and yeah, um, Peter he kind of looks he kind of looks like the one teacher that helps Lip later on in the series. Oh. Like looks mm. like he might be a little bit like just fucked up all the time, a little <laughs> bit deranged, but super smart. You know, he gets yeah. He kind of had this on. like squinty thing, and he would act mm-hmm. like he was kind of this dumb, you know, kind of kind of dense guy but then he would eventually you know reverse psychology the uh you know guilty party into you know outing themselves basically yeah, <laughs> yeah. the the donald pleasance episode he's guilty and mm. the jamie lee curtis episode she plays a waitress and she's just like really short and has like a shitty attitude it's, it's <laughs> yeah. pretty great yeah it's oh, like it's, it's actually worth watching yeah Shit. also cool. yeah columbo's on tubi check it out <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, I, I don't mean, think I have anything more about Halloween. It's just, it just you know, uh, one of the best movies. Don't let watch it with the intention of remembering that this is the first. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this came before everything else that followed it, including the sequels, including you know all the other uh, pretenders. So you know, be aware, be aware of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing doesn't have that. You know, except for the 2011. <laughs> That's the only thing that kind of sullies its name. Oh, <laughs> the 2000. Uh, but hey, hey, you gotta be. Well, let's fucking talk about it, bro. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the thing. <laughs> Is it my turn now? Let's Sweet. fucking do it. You let's fucking, fucking do it. Go. Yeah, you all right. fucking yep. go. So jumping into 1982, uh, The Thing by our Lord and Savior, John Carpenter. So we have... This very, what I'll say again, timeless film by John Carpenter mm-hmm. featuring the likes of one Kurt Russell, which, you know, heart emoji, I heart emoji, you know what I mean? Like all the emojis mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. McCready. Um, we have it, this cast, though, is really interesting because I just feel like there's a lot of really familiar faces that you have recognized and maybe you don't exactly know where to pinpoint. Like we have Keith David as Childs. Um, he was in They Live, which I found more recent. He's like even did stuff with Rick and Morty, Bojack Horseman, but he also did other oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. With he like, does voices for a ton yeah. of shit. Yeah. Like his career show, is wild. TMNT, he was Spawn. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, he was Spawn. Oh, Fuck, I shit. forgot about That's that. Cool. Yeah. That's fucking sick. Um, but yeah, but like the moment you see him, like he's just super familiar. We have Wilford Brimley, which we already talked about as Dr. Blair, Sir Diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, which sucks Dr. that's Dr. Diabetes. Dr. Diabetes. Um, uh, I would so like to come out of the shed now. I don't have diabetes anymore. <laughs> it's so funny that he like he's such a wonderful actor, yeah. and all everybody remembers him for is diabetes. Yes, the way he said you know, it. One little decision. Probably he thought it was some throwaway bullshit commercial he was going to do. We will never forget him. We will and never. Everyone forget remembers him. him for that, but he's I, fantastic. Fantastic. Legends never die. <laughs> he yeah. probably wants to be remembered that for that more than he does Uncle Duvet in Hard Target with Van Damme, where he's <laughs> oh doing God. a fucking dude. crazy Cajun accent. <laughs> Hard oh, Target no. rules, dude. Me and my brother used to watch Hard Target on fucking Reapy. I'm not saying and the movie's bad, but I'm just, yeah. I think in his mind he doesn't want to be remembered for it. No, it, I, I don't remember that. I just I do remember him with like the little hat. You know, didn't he have like a little fucking um 
like a, a fedora. He's doing like Cajun grandpa. Yeah, and like, yeah. And he Van Damme's doing different Cajun <laughs> Louisiana terrible ex Belgian. Yeah, he was basically being that that character that was like on that on that episode of The Simpsons, like Big mm-hmm. Daddy kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, guarantee, guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> Crawfisher. Yeah. Moving on, sirs. Uh, we have TK Carter as Nalls, who um, you see him in a lot of 80s shows, but also he touched on like Family Matters, Punky Brewster. Um, and he, I noted he played on like The Nanny for a period of time. Um, David Clennon as Palmer. Um, a lot of his stuff definitely turned to like TV shows. Like he was on Grey's Anatomy, West Wing, Gong- and uh, Weeds and did have a role in gone girl but um uh my main point sticking point for him in this movie is that i actually took a picture of it was when he's like smoking that fat ass joint <laughs> like early on in the film guys he's yeah. always gonna be yeah. remembered to me as the guy who smoked a fat ass joint on fucking a movie uh yeah. richard uh mazer is that how you say his name as clark um aka seth rogan's long lost husband or uncle obviously husband Jesus <laughs> he Christ. does kind of look like if you're right um but he also does now like, you're getting he, into fanfic territory yeah i know i'm definitely doing fan fiction on this because like i he you know he has this like very soft look where i he, also with the characters he plays like he always kind of yeah, had this like, like he's a soft, soft boy and he likes do- dogs you he's know he's the divorcee or like the single dad he just kind of always has a sad face so you're just what like do you call oh, that buddy. what do you call that when he's like this the 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 dad uh with the horny for dads thing what is it again Zaddy, Zaddy. Oh, Zaddy. No, yeah. I don't. He's not he doesn't Zaddy. Have those vibes. He's, no, no, I might no. Not he's fully not Zaddy. Like this Zaddy needs to be a little bit more sexy. Uh, gotcha, no, gotcha. he just has like the like. I need to take. He's looking for that woman to like take care of him a like, little fix bit. Him. You know, like yeah. like like I need you to put my pieces back together. Yes, exactly. He has that vibe. Yeah. <laughs> and you gotcha. can't tell me otherwise that like, he does gotcha. not have that vibe. I like it. I like it. Good looking he man. Also I'm not going to lie. He dogs, though. So, I mean. Non threatening broken vase. <laughs> not non threatening broken beta cuck soy boy. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that an episode where you were calling everyone betas? Uh, dude, Wasn't that? We already yeah. went over this. I was I just, fucking drunk. <laughs> I know. I just love that. I'm not going to live this down. You know, whatever. Um, I'm just going to start calling you a beta. <laughs> OG beta uh, cuck. And, but like it bring back, like I can go through, I also put Donald Moffat as Gary on this list because I feel like CB already called it out. Like these are the main characters that you really start like getting to know a little bit deeper and understanding them. But um, the thing is based on a 1938 John W. Campbell Jr. novella, uh, Who Goes There? And it tells a story, which is what we understand for this film, of a group of American researchers in Antarctica who encounter this like creature of the thing, which in theory is like this parasitic extraterrestrial life form that assimilates and imitates and um it's just like i don't know it's such a unique take on it i have a lot of fun with it um to start off with this film again i'm not going to go through all the plot points but i'm going to point out a lot of things i thought really interesting about it um someone messaged me after i posted from watching the thing the other day they were like did you hear about 
uh, the opening title sequence and like how that was. And it was kind of a shit show. And I did a little research and it didn't seem as much like a shit show as I thought, but it was um, something that had been used at that time to create these different unique things um, as far as like when we see the thing. So they mm-hmm. call it like this fit. Like, what do they call it? I have a note of it. Um, I feel like there's a oh cloud tank is like really mm-hmm. the word. So they basically have a tank of water and they used um, a trash bag where they cut out the logo of the thing and mm-hmm. then lit a match and they basically created the smoke in the water and it all like also burned the trash bag, which was basically the title sequence. And it just like blew my mind. But um, the more I looked into it a little bit, it was also used in um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Cocoon and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it was it's an interesting, I think, special effect that I, I don't know. I didn't get a chance to look to see if there was actually a video to see if there was any other drama around it. But um, I found it to be very interesting that they did that because um, I feel like there's a lot of like you would want you'd say trial and error, but you probably have to kind of get it right on like the first or second try to make this work. Yeah. It sounds um, like yeah. something that's really annoying and left up to, you know, just chance because if you're burning something, totally it's yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I did. Have I'm a quote. looking at, uh, yeah, I'm I, looking at some videos for not specifically the thing, but yeah, there's videos for cloud tank effects yeah. online. I took a quote um, that'll be real fast um, about that. And it says, when I photographed it, I hit the garbage bag plastic with a little flame, you know, like a match. I would just uh, light it around the garbage bag plastic and then the garbage bag plastic would open up and let the light come through the letters. And that's how the letters look like they form a, you know, and burn on with the rays and everything. So they also read that they had like a light behind it, which also created that crazy light effect that we got. Right. We've already talked about how music's super important. Um, the only thing I want to know, we already talked about who it was, was that I feel like that, like um, I noted that when John Carpenter was working with Ennio Morricone, 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 that he, he requested that he use less notes. And mm-hmm. what I think was like perfect about all of this was that that thump thump almost also gave you this impression that it was happening underground. And maybe I'm thinking back to like Dune or something like that, that it reminded me of like that, you know, underground um, sound. But I think it gave you the mental impression of something that's like lingering underneath the surface. Uh, Like the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, I felt that way the whole time. And then with the whole sequence when they're in Antarctica, where the whole they're like the main rooms rooms that they're in feel so small but there's like all these like underground layers and stuff like that which is basically Mm -hmm. where the alien ended up kind of hanging out anyway Mm -hmm. Um, i also noted with this that um quentin tarantino kind of ripped off a little bit of that like of the music for this of course he did of course he did, but also he had well, Kurt Russell in it. So, but yeah, I just found it interesting that it was it was influential in that way. Yeah, yeah. For the Hateful Eight, um, uh, Tarantino got Ennio Morricone to do uh, do the soundtrack for that as well, and a lot of that is like you know that isolated winter shit. Mm-hmm. So totally. yeah, that, yeah. It's it's why it's stripped down. But yeah, I, 
I, I, I don't know. I think not that the music's bad, but I just don't think it's as good as the other two films that we talked about today because it's, it feels like it's Carpenter trying to make Morricone emulate him because Morricone's more known for his spaghetti Westerns, which are like big string orchestra stuff. And like Mm -hmm. you're saying, Meg, he's asking him to strip it down and he has him strip it down and synth and it's synth music. Mm -hmm. So like he's trying to make Morricone be Carpenter. I'm just wondering why Carpenter just didn't do the music himself. I, I, so this was like his big budget. Like this was his big budget debut in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Like this movie costs exponentially more money than like every other movie he directed prior to this combined probably. Right. So there was a lot more on the line and I feel like he thought that it needed to be more like grandiose in nature. Hmm. Okay. But uh, what, oh my, I've already forgot his name. The other composer, he, um, his sensibilities, I feel like, m- caused him to steer more towards his own sensibilities rather mm-hmm. than letting it be big and grand like he wanted it to mm-hmm. be. Which right. ultimately, I think, you know, created more the mystique of the film because you got to remember this is only four years after Halloween, mm-hmm. and Halloween is is certainly um, a, a phenomenon at this point. This is why he's getting you know basically a blank check for this movie, but he's not known as an iconic horror score uh, composer right. yet. He just has Halloween right. under his belt. Right. And Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Like he doesn't. He's not John Carpenter yet. Yeah, yeah, he's not that we know. Yeah, he's not John Carpenter, the music guy. In a way, but I also Mm want to note that, like, I I find it interesting. You find you think about that, but because I think that's a good perspective on like him having the budget to possibly do something different, and how would he direct someone to do that? I still felt like the music had its own identity for, and then also aided in this film in a lot of ways because of how stripped down it was, but also felt synthetic that it works for this like sci-fi element. It also, I feel like because of how stripped down it was made you have this sense of loneliness that I think was only more enhanced by the cinematography that we got exposed to. So Mm -hmm. I'll throw that out there as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not bad. It's just it doesn't feel it's not as good as if just Carpenter did it himself, I feel like. Sure. And also it just feels weird taking this taking this name composer who's known for doing a lot bigger sure. and almost like restraining him. So Yeah, no, yeah, I wonder, think that's you yeah. wonder if the uh if the studio had anything to do with bringing mm-hmm. in the other composer. Yeah. Maybe. For sure. We're like, we're putting a lot of money on this thing, so <laughs> no more of you slapping the dick on your keyboard. You know what I mean? We got to bring in a real guy that does all the stuff. Hey, you stomp then- finger in that moog and fucking let, <laughs> yeah. let this Italian fella do it for you. Hey, yeah, quit fingering your moog. That's a great thing to say to John Carpenter. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, I, I almost feel like there was a little bit more meddling in it than there. And then John Carpenter being the like, perfectionist control freak that like most really great um directors are he was like okay if they're gonna make me get over here and do this shit with this goddamn meatball i'm gonna make him do what i want to do <laughs> i don't know why i'm just gonna start really calling all italian, italian people meatballs and see where that gets me 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, meatball. <laughs> Big old meatball. It's fucking meatball spicy over here. meatball. <laughs> <laughs> but keep moving forward with this. So obviously, like, the thing wasn't the first, like, sci-fi horror for this genre. You know, Alien came before it. But what I think it does a great job at is it takes elements from what happened and then like built off of them. We talk about like having this like very intelligent alien entity. You know, we find out that there's a giant spaceship by some of the videos that we see from the Norwegians, not Swedish. You sons mm-hmm. of bitches. It wasn't the Swedes that let out. this thing go. It was the Norwegians. That's true. Um, but McCready made that same mistake. So a, I can't I'm gonna be blamed. I'm going to start a war with this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, he can't. He can't tell the difference, but neither can you guys. Probably, you know. No, that's true. If, All if, scandos <laughs> look the same. <laughs> scandos. Oh I man, do have we, some you Corv, should um, like defrosting in my fridge. So, ooh, you should you should open a Corv restaurant and call it Scandos Sandos. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> Sounds scandalous. <laughs> that was stupid. Uh, Scandalous. <laughs> Scandalous. That's the scan. That's the, the Scandinavian strip club. <laughs> oh my god! Yes. Uh, uh, and it takes like each dancer is on stage for like forty five minutes because they have so many fucking layers to take off. <laughs> 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 it's like, all right, I'm taking off my mittens mm-hmm. and my gloves under my mittens. I got, oh, I'm only wearing four pair of socks. Does that get you horny? <laughs> What's that the do for you? Yes. Actually, the answer is yes. What's that do for uh, you? Scandinavian, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think like building off of that is, I love this idea of the assimilation that Blair clearly reveals to us and um, you know that mimicking of the human cell and I mean not to mention we see this like pulled out tenfold and I couldn't bring out the whole idea of the practical effects for this movie are just so insanely fun like mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think you could I was even thinking on this rewatch um, in the beginning when the dog gets um starts attacking the other dogs and then basically that first flip out of its face reminded me of um stranger things like the oh the demogorgon yeah Yeah. it kind of reminded me of that that. i guess i didn't think about that i guarantee it was influenced in in a lot of ways from that because it does look a lot like it now that i think about that but yeah, so I, I had fun over and over and over again, like just watching all oh, of that. It's so much confusion. Mm-hmm. Like when shit starts popping off early on from the first time the, the, the chopper, you know, the Norwegian chopper comes in and they're shooting at the dog and they're, you know, the throwing grenades. And then when the, you know, when the, the, the dog starts like mutating and everything, it's just like so much confusion. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think it's the other th- A lot of people talk about the themes of like, um, you know, paranoia, obviously, but also um, like isolation. But just the like unknown element of like, what, what the fuck is happening? Like, you know, when, <laughs> when, uh, when he puts the, uh, what's the character's name? When um, uh, uh, it's not copper, it's. Um, Wind? No windows? No, it's, it's Norris. When Norris oh, yep. gets his hands chomped off. Oh, yeah. Or no, no, no. No, no. Norris is on the table. It's, Norris it is, is the doctor. On copper. The table. Yeah. yeah, it's copper and Norris's body is the one that's got taken over. Yeah. And yeah. he chops and everyone is just like, what the fuck? You know, kind of it thing. Or like even 
oh it's just such an epic scene too because that's when like his body basically just like expands his head starts coming off Mm -hmm. and then we get the other when his head pops up it becomes another creature oh and then it crawls away and that's my favorite line in the whole thing and maybe my favorite character outside of McCreamy is Palmer I love Palmer (laughs) he's so fucking funny he's such a perfect like 1982 character you know he's kind of that weird like lifer kind of scientist yeah. guy who's like paranoid and weird and socially well, it, awkward. It, but is he's Palmer trying to be a cool. scientist? I thought he was like another uh, or pilot. He, or is he a pilot? Um, yeah. Or he's yeah. A, maybe a pilot. He, yeah. He definitely, I mean, he's like wearing like the motorcycle vest. Type yeah. Thing. He's like, definitely, he definitely the, not a trying to be the bad guy or the bad ass. But. Bikers can't be scientists, but yeah, he looks like a Vietnam burnout is what he, he is what I thought yeah, he yeah, was. Yeah. yeah. You're right. It's like he was probably a Vietnam pilot and just like burned out. And then like he's not as good a pilot as McCready, which is why earlier in the film he's told he's not going up. But they'll let McCready fly out to the other bases and other sites because they're like, "Eh, Palmer, you're like you're fine when the weather's good. Otherwise, you're you're going to stay inside, buddy. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. I forgot he's uh, but he has the best line, which is, you know, when they look over and uh, and you're seeing um, Norris's head crawling away, you know, on its new crab legs. And uh, and uh, he's like. You gotta be fucking kidding! Like, I just love that line. Yeah, it's so I, I always wanted him to go like after, and then McCready torches it, and I always wanted people to be like, or I, I would love to see like a cut of them improvising. He's like, "Oh, you can eat crab legs." It's something about the crab legs. <laughs> But obviously, the are you you know are you fucking kidding me is a great line. Yeah, it's so perfect, and um, and I think what this movie does great throughout it is like we talk about that idea of like we can have this like murderous like boogeyman character, which that's obviously the words that are used oftentimes with uh, Halloween. But in this movie, is like we have this boogeyman of an alien character, but. We also have the lair that all of a sudden now everyone is enemies because they don't know where the thing is. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that like, oh, my God, it just it, it kind of gets it gets exciting throughout it. But um, I have a note of what I feel like this movie does really well, like just as a film, is that like even, um, you know, there is a lot of it that is done at night, but there's just like a lot of low lighting shots. The nighttime settings that they use, I think are really impactful. Um, you know, we do get some jump scares, the music, uh, eerie music. Um, and then obviously the special effects are like really the things that I think help build off the chaos and disruption of this entire movie that I think keeps your attention. And again, we're comparing two very, very amazing films, so I can't really be like super harsh on Halloween and I won't do that. But I always, if I'm comparing the two, I feel like the thing has this like this excitement to it that allows you to get really, really invested throughout the whole thing. And um, yeah, I'm going to keep going there. Do you guys have any notes or we're going to keep fucking moving on yeah. this one? My, my, yeah, my only thing is like rewatching it is like, yeah, the special the special effects are great and it's probably one of the, this idea of like the monster hiding among us is it's been repeated in other films but sure. usually it's like really fucking lazily done and uh, like with this film 
the monster is hiding among us. But then when it reveals itself, it's so fucking crazy and over the top. Like mm-hmm. it becomes it becomes this disgusting. Bleh. The, the my problem is though, as the film goes on, some of the effects, like the effects, get kind of worse. Like it's almost like it flies too close to the sun. And like my big point out would be when Palmer tries to absorb um, windows. Mm-hmm. And he, it's mm-hmm. just like it's that it's that shitty dummy that one might on be top the worst of worst one. But I feel like yeah. that's I feel like that's the only call that I because it goes from that scene where he's like shaking and then all of a sudden his face is yeah. like exploding. I there's feel still like, a lot, yeah. There's still a lot of great things in that with like his skull pushing through his fucking head sure. and then it yeah. splits open. It's just that shaking the dummy looks terrible. Yeah, it looks terrible. And oh, then yeah, he spits out. The he, part, he, he spits but. out a full windows. Like he's still intact. Yeah. He didn't like yeah. really. He also observe. did Kool Aid Man through the wall, and I kind of yeah. Oh yeah. The, but also yeah. made yeah. me question burn. how warm this building is if he can just Kool Aid Man through this <laughs> Like even yeah. just the windows breaking. Anyway, yeah. those are a couple of my funny points to that the, one. Uh, yeah. the, the other standout though to me is the very end, like the last monster. It, it it like you you we saw so many crazy fucking things up to this point that to end with just like kind of a large tentacle that is more or less stationary mm-hmm. and then a dog comes out of it it fe- it felt like eh, I don't know it felt like, like it ama- just to me it felt like an amalgamation of like everything that it already had been absorbing but up to that uh, point. Uh, I, I didn't um, feel that though I felt like if we would have seen the faces of Nalls. Sure. And um and uh oh fuck Wilford Brimley and Moffat I forget Blair, their yeah. character names and like because those were the last two absorbed by Doctor Blair mm-hmm. yeah like totally. if you would have seen their faces in the Tower of Flesh and sure. like the, it I just felt like it could have done more and it was so stationary and didn't move and it's just like ah that's it's not the greatest payoff see yeah. I took it as like it it was hobbled by that point mm-hmm. and that's why it was down in the cellar. So it's right. a lot colder down there. It becomes less active. Whereas when it's up, when it's up there, you know, when it first like kind of was, you know, brought in and warm and it was in with the dogs, you know, it was just going fucking spastic. And it's going wild mm-hmm. where at this yeah, point it's like a little bit hobbled and you've kind of backed it into a corner a little bit. And mm-hmm. it's just like throwing everything at the wall that it can muster in that last right. moment. So it's kind of like mind type vibe where it's just like it's Mm -hmm. a collective so like the hive is yeah the hive is under attack so it's just like throwing the kitchen sink at you kind of but um yeah i get what you say like it definitely it's just when you have any one of these scenes even this frankly the scene with windows which is definitely the weakest one if that was in a different movie we'd be like oh that was kind of cool right oh yeah like but like you know, it's just going up against some of the greatest and most iconic, you know, uh, practical effects sequences of all time. Yeah. Just happened mm-hmm. to all be in the same movie. Yeah. Yeah. Within, yeah. The, like within this film, like that, the the scene with windows in the end, it's going from like a 10 to a nine and a half. Mm-hmm. Whereas like you're saying, if those were just in any other films like that, those would be the big set pieces and you'd be like, oh, sure. that's fucking great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's just such it's so ambitious. Like this movie is just so fucking ambitious with the, the right. sad, which is, which is, piece which is pieces. yeah, which is why I said I feel like it flies a little close to too close to the sun because it's mm. up, it's up there. Mm-hmm. But then it just like, ah, that ah, you drop the ball on that. <laughs> well, you know what? Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite scene in the movie 
the the one that is the definitely the most effective from like a scare factor for me the the blood uh, test well no that's fantastic i love yeah. the blood test but no the one that that i think of as being the one that was the most scary to me is when they chase is is the lowest effects really which is when they chase fukes outside mm. and he's like on his knees in the snow oh, yeah Benning's. and, and he's like, and he yeah, he does the yeah. roar and you don't yeah. know if it's just him, what's happening. Then you see his weird claw hand and mm-hmm. then the the a very un you know natural roar thing. Like that stuck out it's to me. So good. The look oh, on dude. his face, the scream, mm-hmm. the wide open mouth. It's mm-hmm. all yeah, it's almost like Donald Sutherland at you know, at the end of uh uh Invasion of the Body Snatchers or something. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's yeah. got that like crazy look on his face. But. Yeah, a few more things I want to note. Um, a, my favorite line of this movie is uh, a Russell line where he's just like recording himself and t- like actually recounting like what's going on and just keeping a record of it. And when he's like, nobody trusts anyone now and we're all very tired, I feel like is hands down one of the most iconic yeah. lines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I also made a note that I didn't I didn't think about this until I was reading about it with the scene where they find all the blood destroyed because they wanted to do the comparison between the two um, was that it could have potentially been the thing with one of its tentacles to have destroyed it crawling underneath it and that the hatch may have never actually been destroyed. Mm. Right. Yeah. This movie has so uh, many theories and I love the ambiguity of it and especially, you know, that scene the ending that's why it's like mm-hmm. it's like this whodunit the last type one I want of to thing talk about was the ending yeah. though is that um like in the beginning of the film McCready is like seen playing chess on the computer but uh when it appears he like loses the game he obviously short circuits the whole computer with his <laughs> he dumps drink. his scotch in it <laughs> yeah but i it, love a like, guy who's down to call a call a machine a bitch yeah pretty much <laughs> it's us against the machines um yeah. but i what I don't think it was like very clear, but could be a foreshadowing is like commitment to like destroying like the entire outpost of the thing appears to be winning. So if something mm-hmm. else is like better than him, he's going to destroy it. Um, but then John Carpenter stated in like the DVD commentary about the thing is that um, when McCready offered Childs the drink at the end, mm-hmm. it could be interpreted as he doesn't believe for him to be human and he's giving him a drink before he kills him or that he's giving him it to him as a sign of good faith. And it's clearly like left open to interpretation on that one and whatnot. So my fan, my favorite, I don't even, I wouldn't even say it's a fan theory. I think it's like fairly well-established theory at this point is actually two that are my favorite. One is when McCready hands him the uh, the scotch bottle, they're very they're very careful to show you that it's the same scotch bottle which he had cases of, which you saw him earlier turning into Molotov cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was putting like like what kerosene or something mm-hmm. in them as Molotov cocktails. I love this theory that when he hands them for a drink. He's handing them one of the Molotov cocktails to see if he's real, because if he was a human, he would immediately smell the kerosene and mm. not drink it. Whereas in this instance, he um, he doesn't. He just takes a swig of it. And the thing that really enforces this theory for me is the sting. You get a pronounced sting when he takes a drink and then you look at McCready's face and he does this kind of like, Fuck, yeah, we'll see what okay. happens. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because I think mm. he, in that very moment, recognizes that um, that uh, child is is has been infected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also another yeah. one that I've seen where, like, they say that both of them are infected because you can't see their breath. Yeah. In that scene, mm-hmm. I've seen that one, really which I don't there. buy like, that as right much. Right near the fire, I don't really buy that one because they're right near the fire. Right. But yeah, I feel like we'd see more. I don't know, um, but yeah. Um, last last note I have in general is just to call out how um, the guy who did the special effects, Rob Bynum, um, he mm. did work with John Carpenter on the Fog. Um, other yep. stuff he did was RoboCop, Total Recall. Oh yeah, he actually oh, did yeah. later work in Seven and Fight Club, Fear and Loathing, but earlier work he did work on king kong from 1976 and humanoids from the deep oh and the last yeah and the last one was he did do some work on game of thrones so really yeah 2014 okay yeah i didn't realize he was still active he uh is he nothing past that though i didn't see anything yeah i mean he's he's a legend and in hearing like stories about the production schedule of like and how long it took him to because was he not like the protege of another special effects person prior to this that was like pretty celebrated but then he ended up getting like this like basically put on his plate and then somebody either backed out or walked off or or quit so a lot of this stuff because he was young at the time oh yeah he was like he was like 20 years old or some shit when he created all this stuff i don't quote me on that i think it's around that he's like 23 yeah. yeah, and mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit. And he made so much of this, like him and a small crew, and it's just like such an unbelievable feat of practical effects. He he, uh, he apprenticed for Rick Baker. That's what it was. That's right. I knew mm-hmm. he worked with... Who I didn't did know Rick if Baker? I, can you guys talk to me about him real fast? American Werewolf in London, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. I think Rick yeah. Baker did. In it. Yeah. In it. In it. In it. Um, yeah. All I right, mean, boys. Yeah, <laughs> that was the wrap for me. I don't know if you guys have any more comments about it, but I wanted to keep it short and tight because I don't know. I I am ultimately super stoked. I I'm glad that I got the thing. I know Brian, you mm-hmm. probably would have been even more stoked than I have been. But <laughs> no, I was really I mean, stoked I that love I got both it because I so much. fucking love the thing so much, and I think I fell in love with it a little bit more actually having to dive in and feel like I needed to defend it. You know, mm-hmm. but yeah. Both movies were great, honestly. All the movies we watched were good. So yeah, I, 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 I felt the same thing about Halloween. Uh, and again, just because we've been so inundated with the sequels, especially as of late, it was nice to go back to the original and just like think about it in a frame without everything else around it. Yeah, and it, right. yeah, it's such a it's such a, a smart and well made film, especially for nothing for nobody. <laughs> yeah, totally. it, it's it's um. It's hard. I'll be honest with you. I came in not knowing which one I'm going to pick and I still kind of don't. But like I was just kind of looking around like I'm such big fans of both these movies. I'm literally looking at a thing and Halloween posters right side by side here. There's multiple Michael Myers and uh, uh, the Halloween. Let's go with the voting. Yeah. And Brian will vote last, but Meg, why don't you vote first? Yeah. Are you obviously changing your mine vote? Is first. I'm not changing my vote. <laughs> your movie obviously would be my second, if okay. I'm being clear. 
Okay. And you're not being petty. <laughs> no, I'm just not picking being petty. Assault. I'm just saying you're not picking Assault 13 just to be petty or anything. No, no, I, w- I yeah. wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to go the same way, though. Obviously, I'm going to stick with Halloween, even mm-hmm. though if you ask me off the podcast, I'll probably tell you the thing is probably better. But I, uh, <laughs> yeah, See, you're I'm very petty torn. now. Now, I'm not being petty. I'm being defensive of my, sure. and I'm being on brand for my character of never changing my vote. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thing will be second. Yeah, I I have literally a like a in attribute attributes um kind of a list here for each one, and I'll just kind of go down through and and summarize it for myself to figure out which one I'm going to pick. Um, you know, I think Halloween has more iconic characters you know if you go hey quick name something from the thing somebody's gonna go mccready and then what else they're like um wilford brimley like they don't necessarily know exactly to be yeah <laughs> like but they have those scenes and those iconic images of pr- the practical effects which obviously is a huge benefit for the thing yeah. whereas with halloween you think immediately laurie michael Dr. Loomis, like immediately those three come to yeah, mind. People, people will remember dogs before they remember anybody else in the thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Excuse maybe me, they picture I faces, but I don't agree with them, but whatever. I remembered McCready's hat before. I probably remember Yeah. McCready's hat is amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's a good hat. Strong hat. Um, I actually sent it to some of my friends where we have like cowboy jokes going around and I sent it, took a screenshot. And I was like, cowboy, take me away. Snow cowboy. <laughs> Snow cowboy. Snow Cowboy, Cowboy. Take me away. Um, you know, Halloween is all about don't show, and the thing is show everything. But you not know what really, I mean? so though. Ju- I don't know. Sorry, I don't mean to argue with no. you on that one. <laughs> well, you don't no. see. <laughs> right, I love I, you. <laughs> you do, but I mean, as far as like the kills and the violence, like there is sure. very, very little blood in Halloween. There's no yeah, gore. Yeah. There's what? Two instances of bl- of blood, three instances of blood. Well, they later bring it into the franchise, you know, in ways I think. Yeah, but we're not talking about the rest of the franchise. Yeah. No, we're no, just no, talking no, about no. I'm talking movie. about it. What it could be a weak point is that it didn't. But I think it's more of a time and place why they didn't. Is yeah, what I'm no, saying. I like you know that I mean? they didn't. Mm-hmm. But and I like that they did in the thing. It's just two two very different yeah. kind of it's, uh, approaches. It's, it's again back to the point of Halloween does the most with the least. Whereas mm-hmm. the thing does the most with the most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so honestly, uh, if I had to say like, <sighs> I mean, one's just a really big epic movie. Like the thing is a big, giant, big budget, epic movie. And Halloween is a small indie flick. So like it, there's, it's just apples to oranges is so many ways. I think like, <sighs> It probably comes down to me, like the what it makes you feel, what it makes you like think about, you know, when you think about what is scary about the movie. Ultimately, with a horror film, I go back to if all things are, you know, equal, let's say like Halloween has probably the greatest score in horror history in my mind. The thing has the greatest, you know, practical effects in in horror history, probably, Um, you know, so everything being equal in a trade-off in that capacity makes me go to what is the most effective. And I think for the thing, the fear is of the unknown, it's paranoia, it's isolation. Whereas Halloween, it is basically you're scared of the randomness of the universe. 
you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the human brain and the nature of being like it's it's a little bit more existential in that way. Um, like with the thing to escape the thing, just don't go to Antarctica, <laughs> you know, but to escape. But you can't escape Halloween. You can't escape a psychopath that randomly selects you to murder you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for that reason, Halloween Although the thing resonates more with horror fans, um, I feel like Halloween resonates more with with everyone. And because you're not scared of a monster or scared of the unknown or scared of the dark or scared or, or scared of your own, you know, paranoia, it's like. So a lot of people talk about the the randomness and the the like nature, you know, you can never overcome nature and Michael's a force of nature. I think like I try to summarize in my head why I think Michael Myers is the most iconic um, horror villain of all time. And I think it's because he can't be killed and you don't know why you don't fully understand why, but he's never, ever going to stop until you're dead. Mm-hmm. And it's like a perfect um, analogy for life is always going to be a struggle and you're never going to it's never going to get easy until you're dead. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like that's why Michael Myers represents this like existential struggle and 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 the, the, that combination with the faceless, you know, featureless nature of the mask like everyone's scared of a monster. Sure. Of course. But when you think about even like, why are you scared of a monster? Um, cause it's because a monster with three heads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's freaky looking, you know what I mean? It looks like it's going to hurt you. Whereas like the thing we're all more worried about is just, uh, life is hard and then you die. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some rando so, circumstance I, ruining yeah. everything but for I you. I feel like, yeah. okay, not to like, I'm not trying to convince you cause I feel like I know where this is going. But I feel like just to question the whole idea, because you're using existential a lot, is I feel like the thing that you're pointing out that might be one of the best things in your mind about Halloween is like one of, I think, in my mind, as obviously like a newer horror fan and like reflecting on what I have been able to see is that I don't think that's that is it at all. Like, I think Mm. the there's more randomness and inexplicable, inexplicable. Oh my god! Inexplicable, inexplicable, like yeah, inexplicable, like idea about like what Michael does that I think to me seems like a plot fault versus like uh like something that makes me excited about it, which again can be seen is when I got so frustrated even with the last Halloween movie is that I think there is something about it that just doesn't make sense. That feels like we can make something up in our mind as to why he does what he does versus I don't think it's existential versus that it's just random chaos versus with the thing that I think what it, that movie creates is an actual existential crisis amongst a community of people. And so I, that's just my reflection on what you've said, but I'm not here to say any further. Well, I I mean, I guess what I mean by existential is like it's the thing we're scared of in Halloween is more related 
to our nature of existence as humans is the unknown fear of death and this and the fact that I could walk outside and get struck by lightning or a airplane part could fall down and kill me tomorrow. But again, that, that totally, but that totally speaks to what I just said. It's it's not existential. It's more just the reality and chaos that life creates. Well, that's what existential means. No, it's like more so. Yeah, you're concerned with existence, but like concerned with the idea of like what I think the thing did that actually has that existential crisis. You start questioning humanity. You start questioning actually what is reality. Well, I'm not saying it's an existential crisis. I'm saying the fear is more related to our true nature of existence as humans, whereas like the sci-fi idea of like a predator. I mean. Well, like, yeah. so a predator, for example, another life form that's put on this planet that's trying to, um, you know, dominate other life forms and take their resources is essentially what's happening there. And that is but one element of this larger idea that it is entirely random, that, you know, t- you could be walking down the street and just because your dad asks you to stick a key under a door, you die. You know what I mean? You get Whereas, stalked and haunt, you know, fall yeah, out. Yeah, which Lori did nothing to 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 deserve that, mm-hmm. uh, or or to even um, even incite that in any way. She was like right, a which I think just adds to the confusion of it all and like why it doesn't make sense. You know, in ways. Well, no, it makes it makes per- the scary thing about it is that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. the world doesn't make sense. Our brains are not capable of doing all the math needed to calculate the butterfly effect cause and effect situation that results in our own deaths. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Right. Like we're not meant to believe that we, our brains aren't capable of, of processing that. But you're, so but that you're is, forced. I totally agree. I just think that like the thing has that same element and then more. Mm. No, well, in a lot of ways. Cause, cause, cause I mean. Halloween you're forced again. It, it's the way Halloween is structurally is that you're forced to watch the impending doom follow her the entire time mm-hmm. and she has no idea until basically totally. the end of the film whereas the thing they know it's there and they take steps to fight it and yeah. like McCready even already has a mindset of what to do I can't win this game then everything gets destroyed mm-hmm. so he he's he's far more actualized and has like an idea of what he's going to do even when they try to lock him out of the uh, when Knowles cuts rope and leaves him out in the shed. Mm-hmm. And then he breaks into the storeroom you know, and grabs the dynamite. Like he already yeah. has something in his mind. He He's aware and he's ready. So it, sure. the, the fear isn't of like the randomness of things. It's the it's the fear of just not being able to overcome it. But by but the end of the film, doesn't... it doesn't matter. By the end of the film, it doesn't matter because McCready's already uh, but, solid. And that's the he, thing is like us as like viewers for Halloween know all of the things that you're pointing out. Lori doesn't even know that there's even a threat or a fear until mm-hmm. what the last 15, 20 minutes of the film. Right. So mm-hmm. like it's us creating that fear that there is something following versus it actually being created within it. And she now knows, you know, 15, 20 minutes at the end of the movie that there is now this actual threat. Right. But versus, the point is like, yeah, 
But the point is, we're all being followed by the thing we don't know about, the butterfly effect that's going to get us, whether it's Mm -hmm. like heart disease or a fucking dog or whatever, or a Mm -hmm. car crash. There's already that thing out there, and we don't know what it is. I don't know if I felt that way watching it, but I hear hear that maybe that's like what you created when you were watching it. But yeah, no, I hear you. But that's not what I felt while watching it. Yeah, I think I think the other thing that I really one of the things I really like about the thing is that it is an adventure. It's an adventure film, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, they they are in our Antarctica, but they could very easily be on Mars. You know what I mean? Right. It's this you you or in a jungle. Right. Or, you know, so it almost has an action movie um sh- you know it's it's almost like i'm thinking like an m&m right it's oh, like totally. the <laughs> the inside the chocolate it is an action movie but it's got a a horror shell on it oh, you know totally. I mean? and i think that's what aids in the whole idea of that like what makes it more fearful is that no matter how hard they're trying to like defeat this thing that they know exists they don't know much about it they're trying to figure it out no matter what they know their communications lost and they know that there's not a lot of hope, but they're still fighting. So Mm -hmm. that kind of adds in that. I guess this is, it's down to personal preference, I think. So I, I tend to like the man versus. So like he, you know, uh, in the thing, it's a fear of nature basically. Whereas in Halloween, it's a fear of death and the nature of existence which for me is a little bit more attractive. Um, like I said, close call. I will not belabor it any further. I am hard pressed to uh, to go against Halloween 1978. That's it's my it's my movie. I tried to keep an open mind and I absolutely love the thing. But I think as far as horror films and, you know, the 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 what makes them scary, I think Halloween like I've always been in love with that idea of Michael Myers as you know a harbinger of of your ultimate demise which is inevitable awesome two time champ <laughs> as much as don't I champ, don't, don't want to as much as I don't want to make Steve two time champ even before this like uh Kate was like what are you guys doing this week again I was like oh it's the John Carpenter showdown and she was like oh what did everybody get again and I was like uh, you know, Steve got Halloween. Meg got the thing. She was like, "Oh, well, you're gonna pick Halloween, right?" I was like, "I don't know. I might. I might not. <laughs> you know." But ultimately, Halloween got me. It's my favorite movie. The thing is probably my second favorite movie. So it's listen. It's it's a photo finish. It's the creme de la creme. Uh, but uh, Steve is back to back champ. Regrettably, I'm not yeah, double champ. Bitter over here, angry at all. I'm not angry. I'm not mad. Meg's not got a handful of broken glass because she squeezed her coffee mug. Yeah, no, I didn't just smash. All right, you Mm. bastard. Um, So, so do you have a punishment uh, movie in mind? I do, and this one is. I I found this one recently. Okay, and it's on the tubies, so we can all have we can all have fun with this. Fucking is. Uh, and, and I'm kind of torn about how I want to do this because I think, is it possible if we can talk about two movies? Hey, it's October. Anything's possible. Because I mean, they're time. they're both they're both like an hour each. They're All barely. Right. I'm, I'm, down. I'm not going anywhere this week. I got movies go. to watch. As long as they're spooky. 
yeah sure spooky enough <laughs> we will then be i guess watching uh Karis hell and Karis uh-huh. hell the second <laughs> I've seen Carousel. Wait, I fucking love oh Carousel. <laughs> we talk about this. I feel like is it like spelled like Carousel, like uh, as in the fucking but with hell? Yeah. yeah. These I'm are this mad. is these are local films too. Yeah, these are pretty yeah. close. They're they're they remind <sighs> me so much of Thanks Killing. They're yeah, so Jesus. fucking. Carousel Hell is a is a fucking honestly, it's a blast. Yeah, isn't Carousel? Wait, are the, is this one from the guys from uh uh um. Oh my gosh. Steve Radzinski? Yeah, this is mm-hmm. um Oh my god, I'm I'm completely blanking here cuz I'm so fucking tired, but this they is They do a Merry Halloween? <laughs> no, these are the guys Meowie? from ne- Neon Brainiacs, right? Is it? Um is it is it, is it, is it? I think I think well, at least yeah, one of the guys can, Maybe we should invite them on. Yeah, one of the guys from Neon Brainiacs, which is another awesome horror podcast I've listened to for a long time, I think is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is in Carousel. It's been a little while since I saw it, but I remember when I saw it, fucking loving it and posting something about it. And I think like maybe Ben from from Neon Brainiacs like that commented. Might, yeah, that might make sense if they're if one of them or two of them are in it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think one or both of them are, are actually. Um, actors in it but ben it's so fucking, yeah, yeah 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 he's clark in that's right yes yeah. i was gonna say i'm pretty sure this is the movie that he's in it's fucking such a fun weird movie i never saw that i had not seen the sequel but the one guy who plays i think like the lead in it they're friends with and when i posted about it he was actually doing like i don't know i don't quote me on this but i want to say it was like an indiegogo or gofundme to to start shooting the second one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I didn't even realize it came out. Yeah, so. the se- yeah, the second one came out in 2021. And I can tell you, like, I didn't watch it all. But yeah. from what I watched, it goes so fucking far. And it's great. Oh, the, the first one, I, re- I I don't remember the name, but I remember there was a cowboy character mm-hmm. in the first mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. that I was obsessed with. That was so fucking yeah. funny. The, the first one is like, it's so much like Thanks Killing in that like the characters are so annoying, they're stupid, yeah. they're awful. And yeah. like there's not a whole, and then there's some other scenes that are very Thanks Killing. So, yeah. but the second one has something in it that just grabbed me so <laughs> that I felt like we have to talk about them together. So, all right, yeah. I'm excited to Got watch it. the second one. I'll rewatch the first one and then I'll go and watch the second one. Yeah, so awesome. Karis Hill, uh, one and two. Right, Check them out on the two B's. So go, go to Karis Hill. It's like a carousel, like one of them old up and down uh, horse machines. Mm-hmm. Um, when I thought up and down horse machines, <laughs> I thought about fucking. <laughs> I thought about uh, my latest uh, porn research. Uh, <laughs> That's no, actually, that's stuck porn. That's, that's Meg. No, that's Meg's. That's Meg's Pornhub search up and down, horse up and machine. down the horse horse machine. No, no, I was thinking it was um that 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 uh, exercise bike that Mac has on his oh, in Philadelphia, <laughs> the up and down horse machine. Anyway, um yeah, so go check it that's out. Uh, Karis Hell, uh, and then Karis Hell. Is it just Karis Hell two? Karis Hell the second. Carousel oh, the second. second. Perfect. Okay, cool. Go Sweet. watch them on Tubi. We're going to discuss them next week. I'm pretty excited for that. Um, yeah. And also, I guess we should probably mention we have, and we'll give you some more uh, information on the next, uh, on that uh, episode when we watch Carousel and Carousel the second. Keep it on your calendars. October 
the 29th, we're going to be doing another live show at Hop Farm Brewing Company in beautiful Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in the Lawrenceville neighborhood, if you're familiar with it. We did that May Day one with uh, Midsommar. We are going to do a really fun one this time around with a bunch of weird shit. It's going to be a fucking blast. Put it on the calendar, the 29th of October, which is a Saturday of really of Halloween weekend. Um, Come on out and hang out with your gang here and do a little spooky ooky shit. They're going to have a big Halloween party. It's going to be super fun. So... Um, otherwise check us out on the social medias and you know do us all them reviews and all those kind of cool stuff anything else I'm forgetting no not bro alright for the Halloween is forever crew I'm Brian I am not bitter <laughs> and I'm two movies for the double champ <laughs> fuck off alright fuck you you spooky you bitches we'll see you soon bye 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 yes.